0: It's just a little early, but I think uh, everyone's had a chance to take their seats. I must say, this is the first time I've seen this program. They told me they su- they'd surprise me, and they certainly did. Uh, Mark Hamburg, our ch- chief financial officer, who is now known around the office as CB, uh, was in charge of. Uh, of putting all this together, and uh, we ha- I-, I want you to know we have no multimedia pro <laughs> <laughs> this entire meeting is handled by a regular staff we have no we have no public relations department or investor relations or multimedia department or anything of the sort, so uh, everybody just pitches in and uh, and uh, mark uh, uh, will forevermore be in charge of uh, the uh, pre-game ceremonies. Uh, we have a, a, a very large crowd today. Uh, uh, I hope everybody uh, has found a seat either in this main room or in the uh, three overflow rooms. I think we can handle around 5,400. And historically, 62% or just about exactly 62% every year of, uh, of the people who request tickets have, uh, have come to the meeting. And, if that percentage holds true today, we, we have just filled the rooms and we will have a problem in the future, which we haven't figured out the, uh, the answer to yet, but we've got another year. Uh, the way we'll run the meeting is that um, uh, we'll get the, the business out of, way, out of the way at the start and we'll talk about the class B issuance then too, so we'll, it'll take a little longer than, uh, than, than uh, historically has been the case. And then we'll have Q&A for uh, until about noon. Uh, we'll have a short break at noon. Um, there'll be sandwiches outside, which you can buy. Uh, <laughs> and Charlie and I will have a couple of sandwiches up here at the podium. And and then we will stay around until... Uh, about three o'clock to answer more questions. And at that time, afternoon, I'm sure everybody uh, in the overflow rooms will be able to find a seat here in the main room, but people have come from great distances to uh, attend this meeting. So we really want to get a, give everyone a chance to get their questions asked, and and, and Charlie and I are delighted to, to uh, we'll have to break it up at three no matter what, but we'll be delighted to stick around. You can leave any time, obviously, uh, as i 've explained in the past it 's much better form to leave while Charlie is talking, uh, but the uh, feel free to do that, and then at noon you 'll get a chance to do it in uh, mass uh, We have uh, buses available to take you to if you have any money left at all after yesterday to to take you to other 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 business establishments of Berkshire uh, locally um, so that will be the plan. I I I, we, I hope everyone does get their questions answered. We've got a system where we we uh, break this room into six zones. And we have a couple of zones uh, in 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 other rooms, and then this afternoon everybody will will be able to be here in the main room. Uh, uh, so that is the procedure. I'm sure you recognize Charlie Munger, uh, uh, the vice chairman of. Uh, Berkshire Hathaway, uh, who also, I I had not seen that movie before, (laughs) and showed, uh, uh, I I think Mark was afraid to show it to us, but in any event, (laughs) we will go on. I thought you might be interested, this is a list of people that came in for tickets, and we had, uh, in addition to 99 from Canada, and, and of course the US, we had Australia, the Channel Islands, England, Greece, Hong Kong, Israel, Portugal, Puerto Rico, Singapore, Sweden and Switzerland. I'm not sure all of those people are with us today, but uh, but uh, they did send for tickets and I've met a number that uh, did come in from a distance. So uh, with that uh, introduction, I will uh, call the meeting to order. I'm Warren Buffett uh, Chairman of the Board of Directors and I do welcome you to this meeting. I hope everybody has a good time this weekend. And I'd like to introduce the the directors, in addition to uh, myself and to uh, Charlie, now uh, you don't get quite your money's worth this year from our directors. They've collectively they've lost 100 pounds uh, since last uh, our last meeting. At, uh, I think they've been trying to live on the directors' fees. <laughs> <laughs> we have uh, we have with us uh, uh, Howard Buffett. Don't stand. Susan T. Buffett, Mm -hmm. Malcolm G. Chase III, and Walter Scott, Jr. Mm -hmm. Along with us today are partners in the firm of Deloitte & Touche, uh, our auditors, Mr. Ron Burgess and Mr. Craig Christensen. They're available to respond to appropriate questions you might have concerning their firm's audit of the accounts of Berkshire. Mr. Forrest Crutter is Secretary of Berkshire. He will make a written record of the proceedings. Mr. Robert M. Fitzsimmons has been appointed Inspector of Elections at this meeting. He will certify to the count of votes cast in the election for directors. The named proxy holders for this meeting are Walter Scott Jr. and Mark D. Hamburg. Proxy cards have been returned through last Friday representing, it says number to come. Uh, <laughs> Ah, okay, there's another. Oh yeah, here's a script on that one. 1,041,567 Berkshire shares to be voted by the proxy holders as indicated on the cards. That number of shares represents a quorum and we will therefore proceed, directly proceed with the meeting. We will conduct the business, of the meeting, then adjourn the formal meeting. After that, we will entertain questions that you may have. First order of business will be a reading of the minutes of the last meeting of shareholders. I recognize Mr. Walter Scott Jr. who will place a motion before the meeting.
1: I move that
2: the reading of the minutes of the last meeting of shareholders be dispensed with.
0: Do I hear a second?
3: I second the motion.
0: The motion has been moved and seconded. Are there any comments or questions? We will vote on this motion by voice vote. All those in favor say aye. Aye. Opposed? Motion is carried. the Secretary have a report of the number of Berkshire shares outstanding, entitled to vote, and represented at the meeting?
4: Yes, I do. As indicated in the proxy statement that accompanied the notice of this meeting that was sent by first class mail to all shareholders of record on March 8, 1996, being the record date for this meeting, there were 1,193,512 shares of Berkshire Hathaway common stock outstanding, with each share entitled to one vote on motions considered at the meeting. Of that number, 1,041,000. 567 shares are represented at this meeting by proxies returned through last Friday.
0: Thank you. If shareholders shareholder is present who wishes to withdraw a proxy previously sent in and vote in person on the two items of business as provided for in the proxy statement, he or she may do so. Also, if any shareholder that is present has not turned in a proxy and desires a ballot in order to vote in person or on on those two items, you may do so. If you wish to do this, please identify yourself to meeting officials in the aisles who will furnish two ballots to you, one for each item. With those persons desiring ballots, please identify themselves so that we may distribute them. First item of business of this meeting is to elect directors. I now recognize Mr. Walter Scott Jr. to place a motion before the meeting with respect to election of
2: directors. I move that Warren E. Buffett Susan T. Buffett, Howard G. Buffett, Malcolm G. Chase III, Charles T. Munger, and Walter Scott, Jr., be elected as directors. Is there a second?
3: I second the motion.
0: Are there any other nominations? Is there any discussion? I learned a lot in China. We didn't, so. <laughs> the nominations are ready to be acted upon. If there are any shareholders voting in person, they should now mark their ballots on the election of directors and allow the ballots to be delivered to the inspector of elections. With the proxy holders, please also submit to the inspectors of elections a ballot on the election of directors voting the proxies in accordance with the ins- instructions they have received. Mr. Fitzsimmons, when you are ready, you may give your report. My
4: report is ready. The ballot of the of the proxy holders received through last Friday cast not less than 1,040,667 votes for each nominee. That number far exceeds a majority of the number of all shares outstanding. The certification required by Delaware law regarding the precise count of the votes, including the votes cast in person at this meeting, will be given to the Secretary to be placed in the minutes of this meeting.
0: Thank you, Mr. Fitzsimmons. Warren E. Buffett, Susan T. Buffett, Howard G. Buffett, Malcolm G. Chase III, Charles T. Munger, and Walter Scott, Jr. have been elected as directors. The second item of business of this meeting is to consider the recommendation of the Board of Directors to amend the company's restated Certificate of Incorporation. The proposed amendment would add a provision to the restated Certificate of Incorporation authorizing the Board of Directors to issue up the 50 million shares of a new Class B common stock with each Class B share having economic rights equivalent to 1 30th of a share of the current common stock, and with 1 200th of the vote, and to re-designate the company's current common stock as Class A common stock, and to make each share of Class A common stock convertible into 30 shares of the new Class B stock at the option of the holder. I think uh, before we get into uh, moving that motion, I I think this would be a good time to have a discussion and take your questions regarding the issuance of the Class B, and I should give you a little background. I think many of you know the background on this, but over the years, we've uh, we've had probably half a dozen people, one time or another, propose that uh, uh, the creation of an all-Berkshire investment company or unit trust. In other words, an entity that would hold nothing but Berkshire stock, and then would parcel out its own shares in smaller denomination pieces uh, to the public. And we have generally discouraged that because we felt that there was considerable potential for abuse in such an arrangement. And uh, our discouragement has been successful up until uh, last fall when uh, there was one, or there were two proposals that went as far as submission to the SEC for clearance, that involved uh, unit trusts. And these unit trusts would have owned nothing but Berkshire shares and then been sold to uh, the public in small denominations probably with a minimum investment of around $1,000 or so. And holders of those trusts uh, would have bought into an entity that had a defined life but that had Uh, considerable in the way of costs and some tax consequences that they might not anticipate when they came in. And uh, Charlie and I were worried that a combination of uh, Berkshire's past record, which cannot be repeated, uh, and uh, high sales commissions, and a low denomination, and a lot of publicity about Berkshire and myself, which as you've seen this morning, we attempted to discourage. The, um, that the, uh, a great many people would end up buying uh, these unit trust holdings without any idea really of what they were buying and with unrealistic expectations uh, as to the future. And that that would in turn uh, create a considerable demand because these unit trusts would go out and buy Berkshire shares. That would create a considerable demand uh, against a fixed supply, much of which is almost unavailable because people have a low tax basis and are reluctant to sell, and I hope they're reluctant to sell for other reasons. Um, and that the very action of the creation of these and that push on the demand would might very well create some uh, speculative spurt in the stock, which in turn would induce uh, people who uh who had been approached about the trust to feel they were missing even more of a good thing by rushing in? uh, rising prices in certain kinds of markets create their own kind of demand it's not a sustained demand and it's a demand that uh, the reversal of which uh, later on when people become disillusioned can cause a lot of problems but but that potential was there uh, with with uh, with the flood of of buyers with unrealistic expectations, high commissions, and and, and a fixed supply. So we attempted to, to dissuade um, both of the promoters. One uh, one backed away and then came out a few months later with something that was a combination of Berkshire and, and some other securities, which were at least thought to be in our portfolio. And we started hearing from people uh, that, It was clear had no understanding of of, uh, what they were buying or the costs involved or the potential tax implications or anything of the sort so at that time we faced uh, we had to make a decision we had to make it rather quickly as to what would be uh, the best solution uh, to this problem that in turn wouldn't create the same sort of thing that uh, that WE FELT HAD POTENTIAL HARM uh, WHEN uh, BEING DONE BY THESE PROMOTERS. Uh, OBVIOUSLY, WE CONSIDERED A SPLIT OF THE STOCK, uh, BUT WE WERE WORRIED THAT A SPLIT WOULD SEND OUT SIGNALS TO ALL KINDS OF PEOPLE WHO who uh, WANT TO BELIEVE IN THINGS THAT MAY NOT BE TOO BELIEVABLE uh, ABOUT FUTURE PERFORMANCE AND THAT THEY WOULD LOOK AT IT AS a, as a SOME GRAND CHANCE TO buy in at a lower price of course it wouldn't really be a lower price in relation to value but it would be a lower denomination and that again against a fixed supply might very well have created the same kind of problem maybe even a greater problem uh, than uh, would occur with the unit trust so uh, we came upon the idea of uh, the class b shares which would create a supply that would match the demand for in effect uh, split shares and that would be offered in a way that did not uh, create special inducements or, or to create false false, false inducements to people thinking of buying. And uh, one of the things we did was we stuck a commission on it, on the uh, issuance of the class B shares that uh, uh, was about as low as any I've ever seen uh, in, in many years in Wall Street, because we did not want salespeople to have a great inducement we uh to go out and 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 sell the shares we wanted anyone that was interested to read the prospectus and think about it and and make their own decisions and and uh, we did another thing which is uh uh quite counter to the normal commercial approach which is that uh, we said we would issue as many shares as people wanted to buy and you know you do much better in this world if you're selling something to to say only one to a customer and you have to get in early, or you have to know somebody in order to to get shares and that's many new issues are sold that way and it's very effective i mean it's you know, like those old stories about in russia where there'd be lines and people would get in them without knowing what they were going to buy when they got to the front of the line and and that that's a very effective selling tool and it's one that uh, wall street is not unfamiliar with um, but uh, we uh, we we decided that uh, that uh, to reduce any of that feeling that you have to get in early or only the big guy's going to get it or something of the sort that we would announce uh, loud and clearly that uh, we, would, uh, we would have shares available for everyone that wanted. So there was no reason to assume that, that uh, it couldn't be a hot stock, in effect. And we've done various other things. So I th- our hope is that the Class B shareholders that we attract are of the same quality as the people in this room, that they have an investment attitude that, uh, where they feel they are buying into part of a business, that they expect to stay with it, the indefinite future, maybe the rest of their lives, and they do not think of it as a little piece of paper that may be hot because it's a new issue or something of the sort. And uh, uh, it, lets, uh, it lets the people who are happy with the present shares stay in exactly the same position, which is what I'm going to do, what Charlie will do. We have made the B very slightly disadvantageous in two respects to the A. It has a, it has a lower vote and it, had, it will not participate in the uh, shareholder contributions programs. There were reasons for both of those, but in addition to the, in the, the, the explicit reasons, there also is the desire that the B not be made uh, fully, it's just a slight bit inferior, but it's not fully as attractive as the A because uh, we did not want to do anything that pushed everybody into converting into the B uh, IF THAT STARTED IN A BIG WAY, THE B WOULD THEN ENJOY THE BETTER MARKET AND IT WOULD CREATE ITS OWN DYNAMIC WHERE IT, it MADE SENSE FOR EVERYBODY uh, TO DO IT. SO WE HAVE we have LEFT IT SO THERE IS NO REASON FOR YOU, uh, IF YOU OWN THE A, TO CONVERT TO THE B UNLESS YOU WISH TO SELL OR GIVE AWAY SOME PORTION OF YOUR HOLDING THAT WOULD BE LESS THAN A FULL uh, A SHARE. AND uh, IT WILL BE CONVENIENT FOR THAT REASON. But uh, Beyond that, there should be no incentive. If the B should trade slightly above 1 30th of the price of the A, there will be arbitrage activity that will, will, uh, will keep, keep that from being anything other than a, a negligible amount. It of course could trade uh, well below one thirtieth because the B is not convertible into the A. Um, Charlie, would you like to add anything before we start taking questions on this? And, and no. I, encourage, I, I encourage everyone to ask <laughs> Charlie, as you will note during the meeting, does not get paid by the word. <laughs> but we, uh, I encourage every, anyone to ask any question. There are no bad questions about this. I mean, it, it, uh, last year we, uh, we talked about a uh, about a preferred issue, and, and people had very valid questions. Uh, uh, I might take those two points of difference between the A and B uh, just to uh, start with. Uh, uh, on the shareholder designated contributions program, which was $12 of a share last year, uh, in addition to wanting the, the A to have a very small edge over the B, which would be a reason for not having the B participate, it also would get very impractical in terms of, of uh, taking $12 and dividing it by 30 and, and, and soliciting uh, uh, the names of charities and to, to designate contributions. And it, we, we can handle the present program fairly efficiently, but we would not want to be sending out checks for a dollar or two, and uh, it, would, it would get very inefficient. So uh, we have told prospective bee holders that that's not going to happen, uh, and uh, so they're fully informed coming in. In connection with the vote, the, the issuance of the, the bee uh, does create more votes outstanding. So absent any change in the situation, uh, uh through the issuance of shares which were we are not particularly eager to issue uh the vote uh my vote will be will be uh diluted somewhat uh by this and and i hadn't frankly i had no desire to uh, to create uh, uh a lot more shares which would would, would dilute the, uh, uh, the vote of the buffett family uh, it will be diluted somewhat by this action because we will have we will have all the present votes outstanding plus some votes from the B. If there is a lot of conversion to the B, it is true that that that, that our holding will go up uh, percentage-wise. But I, I see no reason why people really should convert. So I don't think that's likely. I think in the end it'll stay very much the same. And and and, and as I mentioned earlier, we want we want there to be a slight disadvantage, to the B. In all other respects, uh, we will treat, uh, the B just as the A. I, we have a problem with numbers at this annual meeting. We're going to have to do something next year, which, and we haven't figured it out yet either. Uh, but the uh, uh, suggestion was made by someone that uh, maybe the the, the B would uh, get second class seating or something. And we're not going to have any of that. But, uh, 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 from 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 this point forward, with the point of, with the exception of the two things we put in the prospectus, uh, the B shares will be treated in every way. Uh, as equivalent uh, to A. At, uh, uh, so with that, and with Charlie's reluctance to elaborate, we have a, a um, six-zone uh, system in here, and then we have uh, another two zones in, in, in the overflow room. So if there are any questions in zone one, Uh, Somebody, just raise your hand and somebody will bring a microphone. Zone one is over there, two is back in the corner, three, four, five, and six. So it just goes right around uh, uh, clockwise. just, Just raise your hand and somebody will bring a microphone to you. We've got a question, I think, in zone one.
5: Uh, good morning i'm marshall
6: Patton from bandera texas and uh when the price is struck on the class b shares those of us who buy our shares through computer programs uh do we have assurance that that whoever we buy from that will be the price that we pay for these shares
0: yeah the well the the price there'll be a there'll be a a price established probably uh but Wednesday night or thereabouts of this week, and and uh, uh, everybody will pay the same price, and uh, a very high percentage of that price, incidentally, will come to Berkshire. I mean, there is a very, very low underwriting spread compared to any other offering. Now once the initial offering is, every, everybody will pay the same price. Large institutions, the buyer of one share will pay the same price. Uh, subsequently the stock will we expect will be listed on the new york stock exchange probably thursday morning and uh, we have the uh, world's greatest specialist here i believe jimmy mcguire at, uh, who who uh, handles the uh, trading now of the common and will tra- handle the trading of both the a and b jimmy are you here you want to stand up just so there he is the world's greatest specialist jimmy mcguire
6: okay thanks
0: I think he leads the singing of "Wait Till the Sun Shines, Nellie" too <laughs> annually. At, uh, at, you can uh, you can see him on CNBC occasionally, um, and the nightly business report. I want to give equal time here. The uh, but Jimmy will be trading both both uh, uh, classes of stock starting Thursday. As I say, as I said, the the it will be impossible. Uh, after the first few days, it would be impossible for the B to sell much above uh, one thirtieth of the A because people would buy the A and uh, and and sell the B if more than a very small uh, with with, a, with even the smallest of arbitrage differentials. Uh, but there will be markets in two shares and uh, in in two classes. Uh, they will both trade in ten share uh, lots. That will be the round lot. Uh, So called round lot. Usually, the round lot on the New York Stock Exchange is 100 shares, but uh, in the case of both Berkshire shares, uh, the round lot will be 10 shares. Now, I read one or two press accounts that said, therefore, the minimum purchase is 10 shares. That's not true. The minimum purchase of each stock, each, uh, each class of stock, is one share. I mean, you can buy one share or two shares, or you can sell one share or two shares, and you have an odd lot. Differential just as you would if you were working with less than 100 shares of a company whose stock traded in 100 share round lots. but uh, There is no there's no minimum size um, in the case of either share Uh, and you will see uh, When they get the mechanics straightened out and they may have a little trouble with it but you will see Berkshire A and Berkshire B and quoted in the papers and and uh, uh, I think that you're that uh, it'll be quite clear after Thursday um, What is going on on that i don't know about the computer purchases but i I don't that uh, uh, certainly in terms of the initial offering uh, uh, that will be through one of i think 137 people uh, or or brokers in the selling group and it's the same uh, no matter who you deal with zone
7: two My name is David
6: Hendel. I'm from Boca Raton,
7: Florida. To your knowledge, uh, will this program effectively
0: discourage the unit trusts? Well, we, it's certainly designed to, and, and, and uh, I think the answer to that is, is yes, because I, I see no way that a unit trust, either in connection with the initial offering or with the subsequent trading, I see no way that a unit trust uh, could uh, offer people uh as an efficient and uh, inexpensive way of participating in berkshire as direct purchase of uh, of of the bee uh, bear in mind that the unit trust if a unit trust were established it would have to buy berkshire shares in the market so it would have the costs that people have in buying shares and then on top of it it would superimpose these other costs and uh in addition to the in- initial commission. They even had a valuation fee. That was a job I wanted to have because every, every three months or, or however often, maybe every day, somebody was, their job was to evaluate this trust value, which uh, involved the uh, great skill of being able to locate it alphabetically in the, uh, in the newspaper. And, uh, the figure was left blank as to what the evaluator's fee would be, but I had, had a feeling that uh, uh, it was one of the more cushy jobs available. Uh, <laughs> And there was an added problem, too. I mean, if, if these unit trusts started and did not get off the ground very far, uh, they could have become something in the way of orphans and they certainly would have been, become expensive to operate. Uh, and then with Berkshire paying nothing uh, in the way of dividends, but with the, with the trust incurring expenses, including this evaluator's fee among others, but with the trust incurring expenses, they would have to sell uh, uh, small amounts periodically. TO PAY THE EXPENSES, AND THAT WOULD CREATE TAX CONSEQUENCES FOR EVERY UNIT TRUSTHOLDER. I MEAN, it, PEOPLE WOULD NOT KNOW WHAT, WE FELT THEY WOULD NOT KNOW WHAT THEY WERE GETTING INTO. THE MORE SERIOUS PROBLEM IS THAT SOMEBODY WOULD FLASH OUR PAST RECORD IN FRONT OF THEM OR SHOW THEM SOME CHART ON BERKSHIRE STOCK PRICE AND SAY, YOU KNOW, THIS IS YOUR CHANCE TO DO THE SAME THING. AND, and, and IT OBVIOUSLY ISN'T, WOULDN'T HAVE BEEN. AND, uh, uh, BUT, BASED ON WHAT WE HAVE SEEN, uh, Right now, we anticipate the offering being 350,000 shares, but the extent to which the number of tickets involved, that even uh, seeking out informed uh, purchasers only, uh, there's very substantial demand. So I think if you widen that circle to include uninformed, it might have been, it might have been quite an experience. Uh, I think the answer is that uh, we will not have a problem with uh, the unit trusts in the future. Zone 3
1: I'm Adam Engel from Boulder, Colorado. Um, in terms of the number of shares that you're going to issue, B shares, do you plan to just look at the book on Wednesday and issue enough to uh, totally satisfy the demand? And do you have any plans to do a secondary if, uh, if it starts uh, becoming a hot, hot number? Yeah. Well, I, th-
0: I think well, we, what we plan is to tailor the size of the offering to fit the demand that appears uh, Tuesday night or Wednesday morning or whenever it was, the, the exact moment will be on that. But the, the offering will be designed to do that. Like most offerings, I, I would anticipate that, that uh, the underwriter will, will uh, and this is this, this is a supposition at the moment, but I, it's frequently done, would sell some more shares than, than the initial offering with the intention of creating a, some short position Uh, In the security, and then they have an option to take from the company for 30 days up to 15% of whatever we initially sell, which protects them on their short position. But the short position also helps in 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 terms of having an orderly market in the stock subsequently. But we will essentially tailor the size of the issue to the demand as it appears to us midweek. We have no plans for any secondary offering. I I think this has been sufficiently publicized there there's a large network of uh of selling group members uh so the people that are that are interested but wanted to buy in a smaller denomination will have had their chance i think there will be a uh, well there, a, a present indications there'd be 350,000 shares out uh, there would be a, a fairly large a, a large number of holders based on on, on what we're seeing so um The market, the market should, uh, uh, starting Thursday morning on the exchange, uh, there should be, in in my opinion, a a reasonable market based on that kind of quantity and the number of people buying. And uh, so I, I, I anticipate nothing subsequently. Zone four. Yep. My name is Tom Conrad, I'm from McLean, Virginia. And I'm going to go to this meeting and tell all my friends and family members why last week.
8: But I've been reading in some publications uh, that you, you said that you would not advise your friends and family members behind at these current prices. And I'm just concerned, if I go out
2: and, and tell them why you're saying well, you know, what you're feeling would be,
0: should I go tell my friends and family members <laughs> think i'll leave i think i'll leave that one up to you what i said (laughs) i said at present prices charlie and i do not think berkshire stock is undervalued and that now that is not what's gotten reported sometimes i mean sometimes people have said we thought it was overvalued we did not if you look at the prospectus or if you look at the if you look at the prospectus you will see that what we said was we do not think it's undervalued now I i find it somewhat entertaining that people regard that as an a a kind of an amazing statement by somebody making a public offering, but if you think about it a bit, can you imagine a management that goes out and says to the world, "We are selling you something in the in the new stock, and it's and it's way undervalued." What do you say to your present shareholders if you, if you go out and say to the public, "We're selling you something that's worth a dollar, and uh, and we're going to sell it to you for 80 cents?" Now, that would leave me very unhappy. So I, I feel that any management that is talking about selling their stock and they say it's, it's very undervalued either doesn't know what's good for their present shareholders or they, uh, they, they may have their tongue in cheek. Uh, uh, we would not be selling, we would not sell a part of your interest in Berkshire at a price which we did not feel was adequate for the present shareholders. It's that simple. If we sell 1% of the company and 350,000 shares is close to that figure of a, a We are selling 1% of your ownership in Seas Candy. We're selling 1% of your ownership in Geico. We're selling 1% of your ownership in the Buffalo News. Those are all valuable assets. Uh, we have no intention <coughs> of selling 1% or 10% or the 100% of any of those entities at a price that is not fair to, to present shareholders uh that doesn't mean it's unfair to new shareholders but, but we're not going to we're not, we're not going to we, we we would not be selling the stock if we thought it was undervalued i'm not sure what we would have done if we if we'd had that position when the unit trust uh, came along but uh, uh we have uh put it in the perspective but we, we are not selling any of our shares frequently on a new offering you see you see uh, present holders but uh you know i have uh Uh, very close to 100% of my net worth in Berkshire and leaves me quite happy. I've got a trust I run set up in 1964. I'm the sole trustee. I can do anything in that trust I want and I am freed by the person who set up the trust of responsibility for a concentration of investments. And I have some members of my family who are beneficiaries of that trust. Uh, that trust owns nothing but Berkshire Hathaway stock. That doesn't bother me at all. It, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not recommending purchase, but I'm, I'm perfectly happy owning Berkshire. It, uh, uh, but we do not want... Uh, we, we do not want people to think that when they buy into Berkshire that they're buying something that's undervalued, because it's not. And uh, uh, we say in that fourth caveat on the prospectus that we want people to buy it only if they expect to be holders for a very long time. Charlie and I expect to be holders for a very long time. And, uh, in fact, you may see us up here sometime where we don't know who the guy on next to us is. But... Uh, <laughs> uh, but we'll put on an act, though. The, uh, we... we uh, you know, that that is our attitude toward berkshire we 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 do not want people to come in who think it's going to be a hot stock or selling for more a year from now because we don't have the faintest idea whether it's going to be selling for more or less a year from now never have had uh, we do think that to the extent that berkshire attracts a special class of shareholder that really looks at themselves as owning a part interest in a business like they don't a part of a farm or part of an apartment house and they expect to hold it uh, really, for the rest of their lives, we think that it's a perfectly sensible thing to do because we're doing it ourselves. But we don't want to go beyond that. Now, I'm not sure whether we got Zone 4. Can we go back there? Uh,
9: my name is Gordon Shepard from Montreal. I wondered whether you had uh, any plans for what to do with the money.
0: Mm. <laughs> well, the answer to that is in the prospectus. But the, the We have no immediate plans for the money. But... Uh, uh, We've faced that situation a number of times. I mean, the money, the 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 inflow of money and outflow of money should not be, in our view, uh, attempted to be matched too carefully in this world because you get you get investment and business opportunities at times that uh, differ from the times that funds uh, come in. And one of the most important disciplines in running a business uh, or managing investments is that. Uh, is to not get your uh, uh, not not to try to uh, to coordinate your your actions uh, simply with the availability of of cash. Uh, over time, we found a way to use money. It's much tougher for us uh, to run 17 billion than it was when we had 20 million in the business. Uh, uh, there's no question about that. And we've pointed that out many times. And it'll get tougher still uh, if we get larger, which I hope we do. Um, th- but the fact that if $400 million comes in on this offering or whatever, that's really no different than, than $400 million coming in in some other manner. And um, when our float grows, we take in more money. When our earnings are retained, we take in more money. When we have, uh, I forget what the uh, check would have been on... On uh, on the Cap Cities transaction, but but it was certainly well over a billion dollars that came in uh, on a single day. So, uh, money's fungible, and uh, we have to keep looking for bigger and bigger uh, things as we go along, and, and and that's what we do focus on. But it it doesn't bother me to take it in. It wouldn't bother me if we weren't taking it in. It wouldn't bother me if we took it in three times as much. It, it doesn't make a lot of difference, and. Uh, uh, we, we will have we, the constant challenge for for Charlie and me is is to allocate capital as we go along, and uh,
1: it's a nice challenge. <laughs> Zone five. Hi there, uh, Lee DeBraff, longtime shareholder. I think going back a number of years now to when it was a little more intimate affair. Not quite sure whether I should look at you in the TV here or in real life uh, on the stage, but anyway, I'm on the very right of you and. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see all the guards around you, and I see uh, all the security and that sort of thing, and 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 then I see this offering of the Class B, and I sort of wonder whether, uh, from your perspective, you feel you might be in the same boat that the Pope and the President are. And I, I mean this absolutely sincerely, because uh, I, don't, I don't think that you have perhaps as good a handle as some of us do on the renown that you carry outside of Omaha, Nebraska. People who have no idea what investments are about are fully aware of who you are. And when they see this offering, I think you may find that uh, there are substantially more people who are interested in just having a piece of you for the sake of saying they have a piece of you than having absolutely any idea what they're doing. And uh, I noticed that on, I try to read the fine print here, on page 14, first paragraph, second line, you indicate uh, some 50 million shares of Class B common stock may be offered. And so uh, I'd like you to comment on this uh, situation that you find yourself in where you may be, perhaps, out of touch with the, um, with the, with the uh, popularity mm. that you have,
0: <laughs> well, my first reaction—maybe I should tell the, my barber we could save the clippings and say, <laughs> sell them. <laughs> the, uh, I, I don't think it's quite—I don't think it's quite as extreme as you say. But I, I, you know, I, uh, uh, in relation to the uh, in relation to the fifty million, first, we have to authorize enough shares. Because we are going to allow every share of Class A or present common stock, but the Class A to convert to B, so we have to have the shares authorized to take care of 30 times the present 1.0, almost 2 million shares. So 36 million shares, in effect, are reserved for the present common stock, and as long as we were authorizing it, uh, uh, well, we we need that much, or or or. or we wouldn't have the shares actually available if everybody came around to convert. That's not going to happen, but we still have to be prepared for it. Uh, we have we have no plans to to issue a lot of shares. The but the point you mentioned, which I think uh, you stressed a little more than I would have, but the uh, that that is what we were worried about in terms of the unit trusts. Uh, it, it's uh, there are people that think that it can all happen again from this kind of a base, which, you know, is is mathematically a a joke. And Charlie and I would settle for one whole lot less, you know, right today. Uh, And we have done everything we can. I mean, if if we hadn't done this, the unit trust would have moved forward. And I think they would have cashed in on that phenomenon you suggested. And in a few years, you know, it would not, uh, I would have been... uh, in a, in a somewhat different position because uh, people can get very disillusioned if if they have hopes that aren't realized. And we have done everything possible, I think to uh, to filter out uh, uh, those who might have an unrealistic belief uh, and everyone should read a prospectus before they uh, they buy shares and 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 uh, uh, um, I think uh, I think we have tailored we've designed, what we're doing about as well as we can to, to moderate uh, that phenomenon you're talking about. Uh, there may be a few come in, but, but not too many. Charlie, do you have any uh, thoughts on that?
10: Well, if we, uh, if we only issue the amount we're now talking about, it's sort of a non-event around Berkshire. It'd be one percent or yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's one percent of uh, the. So. it solves the problem of these disreputable followers and one <laughs> percent what does it matter
0: <laughs> we you heard that remark we were referring to Charlie earlier about all I want to know is where I'm going to die so I'll never go there well we we think about that uh, in, in terms of we, we believe in reverse engineering uh, and 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 how do we keep People from buying it who really are going to be unhappy, you know, a few, a few years later. You know, it's a little like singing country songs. You all, you should sing them backwards. That way, you get your home back, and your auto back, and your and your wife back. I and mean, yeah. uh, <laughs> hmm. uh, zone six. So we got.
10: Good morning. I'm Raina Lowy from Chicago. Proud to be here. Where are might,
7: we? Oh, they, right. oh, over here. Okay.
11: I uh, have a
10: question that's been asked me, and I really don't know. Several people wanted to know if they could buy directly
12: from a company.
0: The the answer to that is 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 no. But uh, Solomon Brothers is is the is the underwriter of the issue. They have 100 and I think 37 or something uh, broker dealers all. Virtually all the major ones in the country in the selling group, uh, the costs to the company of doing this are, are really very, very low compared to, to any issue I've seen. When AT&T uh, uh, had their sp- spinoff uh, or the, the sale of Lucent, which was a, close to a three billion dollar deal, uh, you know their their percentage costs were more than double what our costs will be, for example, on this offering of Berkshire. So. It, it's almost as if you're buying it, a, a class B holders is buying it from us in terms of, the, of, the, uh, of what I would call the frictional costs involved of getting the issue done. In fact, I, if we handled it ourselves, it might, might cost more. Uh, but the company itself uh, is not a broker-dealer, and, and uh, it's, it uh, would require a whole group of different hoops to, to jump through in order to have a, a direct issue. It, it will be sold only through broker-dealers. Zone 7. Uh, this will come in from another room. Here we are.
7: There aren't any questions at Zone 7.
0: No questions in Zone 7. Zone 8?
4: No questions from Zone 8.
0: Okay, then we'll go back to Zone 1. Keep
7: it down. Mike Rocker from Flint, Michigan, God's country. Uh, hmm. no. I, I noticed in the press when the this uh, issue of the unit trust was going on, that there apparently also were some uh, people trying to form mutual funds to carry Berkshire stock, <clears throat> which I kind of thought was a good idea because There's one uh, potential class of Berkshire owners that could only own Berkshire stock via either an open-end mutual fund or a closed-end mutual fund. And that is uh, those thousands of teachers and hospital employees whose uh, future retirement money is in 403 plans. That are limited to investing in mutual funds only, and so I wonder if, first of all, if you were aware of that, and if so, if you considered that, and if not, if you might.
0: Yeah. Well, the the answer is I wasn't aware of that, um, uh, so it wasn't it wasn't considered. Uh, uh, there are, uh, of course, some mutual funds that that own Berkshire shares, but there's there's no all all. Uh, uh, all Berkshire fund uh, uh, outstanding I would say this that if the law was set up to in some way to restrict investments of this group you're talking about to options that involve mutual funds but that don't involve individual stocks I would think it might even be regarded as a way around it if if a fund owned nothing but one stock because if you can't buy general motors directly under I assume the relevant rules or statutes on, on that, it would seem that a, a fund that owned nothing but General Motors might be regarded as a way of getting around that. But the, the answer is it it was it was not considered. Uh, I don't know where the rules are derived, whether, they're, uh, whether they can be changed by some organization or they're part of some statute. But if they're part of some organization, uh, by a vote of their directors, they might be able to allow uh, purchase of individual stocks uh, within those plans that you describe. Uh, but if not, it, it does seem to me that, that an all-one-stock fund is, is, is uh, might be regarded as simply a way around the rules. Zone two. Alan Rank, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Have you determined what the symbol will be for the Class B? The symbol? No, we, we haven't. Uh,
4: may, may I make uh, a suggestion? As a broker, The stocks that have come out and given themselves Class A and Class B cause massive confusion. If there be any way to make the symbol something like BRB and just keep it a simple three-letter symbol, it aids people both in following it on the tape on CNBC as brokers. Four-letter symbols on the New York restrict a lot of things we can do as far as punching Mm -hmm. them in. If there's any way you could keep the symbol for the B a simple one, two, or uh, three-letter symbol, it would be greatly appreciated.
0: Well, thanks for the suggestion on that. the The exchange has generally been exceptionally uh, cooperative in trying to work with us. I mean, a ten share trading unit is is no piece of cake for them, and and I'm sure at times that they they have uh, wished we were a little more like some of the other companies that list on the exchange. But they they they've been very, very cooperative and helpful, and 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 uh, we are. they'll they'll, they listen to things we suggest we listen to things they suggest so we will try to do whatever facilitates uh uh, things at the exchange and the reporting of uh, prices Uh, and it's nothing we will try to impose on them believe me i I have no favorite name that i'm looking for so we will we'll 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 see what they what what uh what ideas they have and we'll include that suggestion zone 3
3: Paula Finster from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, very glad to be here. I'm one of those few second generation, finally finagled a ticket out of my dad. <coughs> three years ago. Her dad ago,
0: has a soda fountain incident. If you're ever in Tulsa, be sure to see him.
3: <laughs> he certainly does, and you're certainly invited to come back. Um, I was here three years ago for the uh, movie theater, and considering the growth, uh, I know you won't leave your beloved Omaha, but maybe you could build a stadium with, that's covered. Mm. Uh. Considering the growth, Uh
7: um,
3: with adequate parking, Uh um, here's my question. You said there's going to be unlimited offering, as much as they want. This question is not designed to get a rise out of Mr. Munger. However...
0: It's not easy to do.
3: (laughs) uh, Understood, considering the bridge game of yesterday. Um... Anyway, uh, my question is, you're authorizing up to 1%. What happens if it goes bananas, as Zone 5 suggested, and it goes greater? You said this 1% is yours. Is the next 1% yours? Is the next 1% ours? Do, I know we are limited partners, and you're a controlling partner, but how far does this ball game go?
0: Well, in terms of the size of the offering, if it, 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 Whatever the size of the offering, it affects everybody economically the same. I mean, it, uh, our, our shares are no different than the ones of the people in this room. So, we do not care, from an economic standpoint, uh, whether the issue turns out to be approximately one percent or whether it was one and a half or three quarters of one percent. It, it simply, as long as we're not selling the stock below its 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 true value. Uh, we are not going to be hurt by it, so it's inconsequential to us. We're not going to be helped in any significant way by by, uh, a large sale. It would appear to me we're we're just a few days away from the offering, and and it's it's been out there a while, so I I would doubt if there's uh, huge changes, but I don't don't know the answer to that. I mean, that could depend on what happens in the general stock market, but I don't think you'll see any huge change in the offering. If there were a big change, we obviously would very promptly let the SEC know. The SEC is, has, uh, has uh, wanted us, as we have seen changes in demand as we've gone along, uh, uh, promptly change the size of the offering and the covering page gets, gets modified. And we've done that. We've as, as Every day as indications come along, we've, we've tried to be responsive to, to their instructions on that. And uh, the 350,000 shares uh, is our best estimate uh, as of last Friday, and, and uh, uh, we'll look at it the next day or two. But I, I don't think it's going to change dramatically. I don't know, though. I, I don't want to—I'm I'm giving you a definitive answer on that, but it's just my—it's a strong impression. Thank you. Zone 4.
13: Mike Asale from New York City with a question for Charlie about his investment models. I'd like to know the most useful models on industry consolidation, vertical integration, and models which explain the special cases when it makes sense to invest in retailing stocks. Ah, well, I I think...
0: I don't want to interrupt you now, but okay. I think we'll save those to the general question and answer. This is, this is only on the issuance oh, of the Class B sorry, right now. Sorry. But we're we'll glad to have that, have that question sorry. later on. It'll give Charlie time to figure out the answer, for one thing. <laughs> 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 we'll, we'll, we'll go through all of the questions regarding the Class B, and then we'll have a vote on the class uh, authorization of the Class B. And then we'll get into general questions and answers. Sir? Somebody over there? And we'll, we'll take another one from Zone 4 if there's somebody. Monitor.
12: Mark Venditti Mark from Connecticut. Um, I'll apologize ahead. This isn't meant to be an impotent question or uh, in, any, in any way, shape, or form. Do you think that the issuance of the B in any way might exact, in an effort to protect the folks who might be out there um, suckered in by the trust, if you will, um, in any way penalizes the A shareholders, either one, or might penalize them, either one, financially or two, uh, philosophically? Uh, in the Burke experience. I don't mean that in any kind of elitist fashion because I don't think you've ever propagated that. Burke doesn't propagate that, but clearly there's a a room full of people or rooms full of people who uh, have made a commitment financially to show that their philosophy is with you. Um, does, Does that get diminished? The other part of the question is, the trust as you portrayed them didn't sound terribly attractive in a longer term. Would they perhaps have ultimately failed uh, as folks realize that they hadn't gotten into uh, what they thought. Well, they might have, but I, I think the
0: rub-off would have been on us rather than the promoters of the trust. It might have been on the promoters, too, but the, uh, in, terms of, uh, in terms of the failure of the trust, I don't I, I don't mean failure in an absolute sense, but in terms of disappointing their investors, I, I really think if tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people had come into something that was sold as being an all Berkshire-type trust, if people came away disappointed some years i think they would tend to to uh, project that disappointment upon berkshire fully as much as the as the promoter who sold the trust to. they might not even be able to find at that time uh uh, the first question you know this i I don't think uh, we wouldn't be doing this if we thought it would 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 hurt present shareholders we would uh, much as we might detest something else that was going on uh, and we designed it so it it, we felt that it wouldn't it it wouldn't hurt present shareholders Uh, uh, in terms of them having a philosophy, the new shareholders having a philosophy similar to the present ones, we've tried to filter those out coming in. Uh, but uh, I intend, after, after the offering, to uh, send out a booklet, you know, kind of like uh, a freshman uh, at college, you know, orientation greetings to Siwash U. And, uh, uh, we'll send it to everybody, uh, new shareholders and the old shareholders, explaining our philosophy and just, just as an orientation, of course, on the on the company. And uh, uh, we'll get that out probably in a month or so after after the offering settles down. I, I, I don't see any reason that you know Berkshire has evolved over a long period of time. Uh, we had 12 shareholders at the annual meeting 15 years ago, and it uh, we seem to be able to retain uh, the same class and group of shareholders in terms of people who really understand the business. It's a different group than you find at other companies. And I, th- I think we can, uh, as long as we've had this filter in effect operating as new people join us, I think we can, I think we can keep it. Uh, Charlie?
10: Yeah, if, if the offering went wild and you issued 3% of the company new, uh, you're also taking in a billion-odd dollars. It's a non-event for us.
11: (laughs) Hmm.
0: Hmm. He's very excitable. Don't say anything to him.
2: (laughs) Zone (laughs) 5. Ed Johnson from Perk City, Utah as you uh, receive the proceeds of the class b sale and generate other cash are you seeing opportunities out in the marketplace to continue to provide the kinds of returns that uh, we've been fortunate enough to experience in the past
0: with or without the sale of the b we don't see things to do that can maintain anything close to the average returns of the past we've we've tried to Convey that, and and it, it becomes a mathematical absurdity. Uh, to uh, money just won't compound at the, that rate uh, uh, in this world, absent extraordinary inflation. Certainly won't compound in real terms. So, uh, absent the issue of the B, we 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 are not looking at things. We're not we, we're not seeing things. We're not we're not we're not hoping to find things that match some of the things that we have found in the past relative to the capital base we've had in the past. But we have that problem with or without the B, and it has not changed in any, in any um, even ne- very minor degree by, by, uh, by the issuance of the B. Uh, we are looking for things all of the time. Uh, anytime we find anything that makes sense to us, we will do it the harder part is to make sure that we don't do something when we don't find something that makes sense I mean that, that that's the uh, the bigger worry and when we find them we'll, you know they'll, they'll come along and you never have you never know when it's going to happen uh, we run into businesses uh, so I described a little bit of that in the annual report almost by accident that we've we've uh, we've had contracted to make one uh, purchase this year the people who run it are here today and uh it came about because i was attending a uh, a birthday party at uh uh and you know i'll go to more in the future now. That, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it it, they, uh it, it it things have not ended around here we'll we'll find interesting things to do over time but they 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 can't they can't remotely be as profitable as the uh, the as the things we found in the past simply because of the large capital base. Zone six.
5: Hi, I'm Matt Zuckerman from Miami. Uh, I don't know, I think Charlie is the same class as Ev Dirksen. You know, $3 billion will soon be talking about real money. Yeah. Uh, the two questions I have basically are one. Number one, uh, referring to the gentleman over here before who who commented on the, your popularity which will definitely affect the stock don't you think and, and the second part of that is that even my wife's beautician has put in for some shares of the stock and he represents a small tip of a large group who are probably doing the same thing on the one hand so that there's going to be a large popular demand for the stock which probably is not reflected in the numbers that the uh, selling brokers are getting from institutions. And number two, mutual funds themselves, in order to lend some panache or glamour or whatever to their portfolios, will certainly be sucking up uh, Berkshire' stock after this. And have you taken all of this into consideration when you decided upon the number of shares to go that you're uh, sending out, number one, And number two, that the reaction at least in the first 14 days of the public, to the shares, which will probably be in the range of $1,100, might not send the B shares up high enough to make a very, very interesting spike in the price of the A stock. Well, we've considered
0: what you're talking about. I I, I think that the issue has been well enough publicized that the demand will largely be reflected uh, on the books of the underwriter in a day or two uh and th- I, I see no reason at all for for a for a s- a spike in the stock i mean the way way we've designed it uh sh- should really uh, pre- prevent that we uh and we tell people not to expect it uh, uh, if any institution wants wants to buy it if any individual wants to buy it they're going to have a chance to do it and uh, uh I don't see any reason why there should be some in, huge influx of people immediately subsequent to the offering that didn't hear about it during the the offering period. Uh, it's interesting. I, I think most of the demand will be be retail and, sm- and, and uh, smaller holdings, not so much institutional. The uh, most new offerings are done in a manner where the idea is to have far more demand than supply and and therefore cause people to maybe order stock they didn't even want and uh, just on the idea that this restricted supply will cause a big jump the first day whether you know you've, you've seen yahoo or a number of other offerings uh, personally like that sort of distribution arrangement because you'll find that 30 to 40 percent of the issue will perhaps trade the first day. Well. I think, and, and perhaps at a lot higher price, I think there's something a little wrong with that kind of an offering because the, the company obviously isn't getting proceeds that are equivalent to what people are willing to pay and favored customers get the chance to flip the stock and and really are getting paid an exorbitant and underwriting fee themselves, even though they're called purchasers because they sell it the first day. We will um, be very interested in seeing the volume in in the B stock the first couple of days relative to the amount of the issuance. And I will be disappointed and I'll be surprised if the trading volume in the B stock the first couple of days related to whatever the size of the issue is turns out to be anywhere near as high as with most new issues. I think that we will have a better success in finding people who really want to own it and who did not buy it to flip it. I think by this method of distribution, but we'll have a test of that. We will, we will see what happens on trading volume and uh, I invite you to look at the volume and compare it to the amount we issue and then look at that relative to other new issues this year and uh, just see how successful we were in finding uh, real investors rather than people who were buying it to sell it to somebody else the next day. Let's see, was that zone six? I guess we go to zone one.
10: Maybe we can vote.
0: Yeah, but I don't want to cut off. Um, Charlie says maybe we can vote, but but uh, I do, I, I want people to have their questions. <laughs> uh, uh,
11: uh,
0: uh, it just encourages them when you do that I, I, the, uh, I want i want to be sure people get their questions answered on this i don't want to prolong it beyond uh, if if you feel your question has been 95 percent answered by an earlier question i hope i hope you'll uh, um, uh, skip asking it but we do want to have people who have questions about it answered because I, I can tell by by commentary and letters i've received that that some people have genuine concerns yes
8: um, my concern. Oh, my name is Jan Anglin. I'm from Southern Indiana, and this is my first Berkshire meeting. Good. Um, I did have a, a concern about the bee shares. That's less business and more. Um, I guess it would be concerned with your and Mr. Munger's personal safety. Mm. I often see your picture in the newspaper, and I, I certainly don't mind seeing it on financial magazines, but now it's kind of like proliferating. I don't like the idea that you are so visible. And it, that mm-hmm. bothers me. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, do you understand what I'm saying? No, I understand exactly.
0: It's, right. Yeah. It's occurred to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I appreciate that, and I. but the answer is there's no other way, I mean, if okay. o- over time. In terms of what happens, and uh, as, so, as it grows, you get more visible, basically.
8: I know, but along with the B-shares and things, can you kind of, like, be quotable but less available for photos? No. <laughs>
0: well, I, I normally am. I, I, if you've noticed, in terms of interviews or anything of the sort, I, it, I do not do them. I've been invited to go on all of the, the news shows, and, and I basically don't do it. Frankly, with the shareholders, I feel differently about this group. I'm delighted to... To see everybody come here, and I, 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 enjoy getting together with the with the shareholders. Uh, I, I think the real protection is, is, it, if, if if we'd done something that had caused the stock to balloon way up and then come way down, I might have had to uh, be a little more careful. Than
10: that. <laughs> I think she has a very good idea, having seen that acting. I think. <laughs> I think hereafter maybe you should be the voice of Mickey Mouse.
0: <laughs> I, I do appreciate the sentiment on it very much, and, and it, uh, there is a, it is unavoidable to, to a fair degree, although Charlie may have thought I wasn't pushed into those acting jobs. <laughs> Zone two. Oh,
8: uh, this Joe Greer from uh, Omaha, Nebraska, of all places. Uh, Regarding the conversion privilege, uh, is there a
7: time limit on the uh, converting from the A to the B?
0: No, that's a good, I'm glad you asked that question. That's a good, uh, the first five days or so after issuance of business days, there's no conversion. But after that, uh, you'll be able to convert until uh, Judgment Day. uh, It's forever convertible from A to B, but it's not convertible from B to A. So there's no need. To convert it until you have a reason uh, to do so. That, that, uh, and as I pointed out, uh, there's a very slight disadvantage in converting it. I wouldn't, I, until I had a need, I would not convert it. Zone uh, three.
2: Uh, Scott Dowling from Redmond, Washington. Kind of related to this question. Um, as, a, as an A shareholder, I can only see really two reasons to convert A shares into B shares one of them being gifting reasons. Um, and in regards to that, how does one convert A shares into B? You know, that, yeah, yeah, there,
0: there are instructions on that in the proxy uh, statement as to how that, uh, I guess it's in the annual report too, that uh, it, it, descri- it describes how to do it. But basically, you get in touch with the Bank of Boston to do that and proceed from there. Or if you have your shares with a broker, you would instruct your broker to do it. Zone four.
6: Good morning. I'm Ruth Owaites from San Francisco. I wondered, how did you decide that the ratio of the bees should be 30 to 1 instead of 300 to 1 or something in between? Yeah,
0: We wanted to have uh, something that was roughly, uh, would, would trade initially at least in the $1,000 range. Uh, uh, we thought it very unlikely that anyone would find it commercially feasible to set up a trust that offered uh, units that were denominated much below that, so that's as low as we felt we had to go, and we we did not want to signal in any way that uh, that you know some sort of last chance or something like that to get in for some very low sum for for people that that uh, you know just had some wishes that they could turn a hundred dollars into a hundred thousand or something. I get letters from people that you know think that somehow that can be done. It can't be done, and uh, uh, we don't want to appeal subliminally or any other way to to people who harbor those hopes i i'm, I'm sympathetic with them but but we don't have the answer to that so so uh, we we went down to the level to match the unit trust zone five we'll try and do the we'll try and end the questions on the b fairly soon but I, I i don't want anybody that feels that they've got a um, got some reservations about about this not to have a, sh- a shot at
7: ans- asking their question uh my name is bob mcclure i live in singapore and the way I figure it, the, the sale of the B shares uh, at the price they will probably be sold will give an immediate boost to the uh, book value of Berkshire Hathaway. So as, as far as I'm concerned, the more the merrier. Uh, can you give us your thinking on that? the accounting treatment, how this will affect the, the book value of Berkshire well, Hathaway? Well,
0: any sell, shares we sell at the equivalent per A share of of in the range of 33,000 or thereabouts where the stock is selling now, will increase the the book value per share. But that does not mean it increases the intrinsic value per share. I've s- said many times in the report, we use book value as a a proxy in tracking uh, movement of intrinsic value, but it does not represent anything like intrinsic value per share. And the key is not what it does to book value per share, but what it does to intrinsic value per share. And you know, we believe the intrinsic value is materially higher than the book value. We don't spoil your fun by ever giving you a number. But uh, we, uh, we, uh, we do not regard the fact that it increases the book value per share as being uh, any kind of a determinant in, in deciding to issue the shares. Uh, but it will have that consequence mathematically. That The key is, is the relation to intrinsic value. Zone six. Any questions on six?
6: Your problem seems to be that you've attracted a fair number of potential shareholders that don't have a way of estimating intrinsic value or developing expectations about what Berkshire's future prospects are. do you have any suggestions about how they might do that, short of the general guidance that you can't continue to compound your intrinsic value at the same high rate that you have in the past because of your asset base and that you don't believe the share is undervalued?
0: Yeah, well, we'll probably talk more in the general question and answer period about our various businesses, but we simply try to give you all of the information about our businesses uh, in a large general way that Charlie and I uh, consider important and, and that we would want if our positions were reversed. Uh, I can assure you that if all Charlie and I knew about our businesses, what, it, what we publicly disclosed, uh, it would not change our, our estimates from uh, uh, what, what they might be uh, from being intimately involved with the businesses the, the the facts are out regarding what we do so uh, uh, you are you are in the same position to the extent that you have followed our kind of businesses and understand industry conditions and all of that uh, uh, and we'll continue to do that we, we we essentially regard you as our partners and we tell we try to tell you exactly what we as partners would want to know if you were running the place and and uh, we'll continue to do that we won't tell you a number because we don't know the number. We, we have a range in our mind. Things change that range over time. And uh, uh, we'd probably get in all kinds of trouble if we tried to put out that range. But uh, uh, And Charlie and I would not come up with exactly the same range, but they'd be pretty close. Uh, we'll talk more about that a little later. We do have questions now from Zone 7 and 8 in the other room, so we'll take on Zone 7, please. <clears throat>
7: I guess you've answered our questions oh, in 7.
0: Took care of zone 7. How about zone 8?
6: No questions from zone 8. Well. Okay.
0: <laughs> I think at this point we can move on to general questions after we have this vote. And then if if you ha- if you have another question or two that comes up during the the general question and answer period, I'll be glad to we'll be glad to work those in at that time. So, we are now at the point. Uh, is there a motion to adopt the Board of Directors' recommendation?
7: I move the adoption of the
2: amendment to the fourth article of the Restated certific- Certificate of Incorporation as set forth in Exhibit A of the Company's Proxy Statement for this meeting.
3: I second the
13: motion.
0: The motion has been made and seconded to adopt the proposed amendment to the Certificate of Incorporation. It says here, is there any discussion, but I'm not gonna say that. We are ready to act upon the motion. If there are any shareholders voting in person, they should now mark their ballot on the proposed amendment to the certificate of incorporation and allow the ballots to be delivered to the Inspector of Elections. Would the proxy holders please also submit submit to the Inspector of Elections a ballot on the proposed amendment, voting the proxies in accordance with the instructions they have received. Mr. Fitzsimmons, when you're ready, you may give your report.
4: report. My report is ready. The ballot of the proxy holders received through last Friday cast not less than 970,495 votes in favor of the proposed amendment. That number far exceeds the majority of the number of all shares outstanding. The certification required by Delaware law regarding the precise count of the votes, including the votes cast in person at this meeting, will be given to the secretary to be placed with the minutes of this meeting.
0: Thank you, Mr. Fitzsimmons. The amendment to the Certificate of Incorporation as set forth in Exhibit A to the proxy statement for this meeting is approved. After adjournment of the business meeting, I will respond to questions that you may have that relate to the business of Berkshire, but do not call for any action at this meeting. Anyone have any further business to come before this meeting before we adjourn? If not, I recognize Mr. Walter Scott, Jr. to place a motion before the meeting.
4: I move this meeting be adjourned.
3: I second the motion.
4: The
0: motion to adjourn has been made and seconded. We will vote by voice. Is there any discussion? If not, all in favor say aye. Aye. All opposed say no. The meeting's adjourned. (laughs) Now we'll move to uh, to general questions and uh, and we'll do it by the same zone system. said earlier, any of you are free, obviously, to leave at any time. We will break formally at, uh, at noon and uh, reconvene about 15 minutes later, after you've all had chances chance to buy a sandwich. And, and you can, uh, those in the other rooms can come in here, and we will go from then until uh, about 3 o'clock. So we'll start in with Zone 1.
7: Okay. Yes. Uh, I'm Will Jacks from Chicago. I'm, I'm sort of representing Benjamin Graham today. The question he might ask: uh, You have talked earlier uh, about how you about the value of, uh, of of your shares, the A shares, let's say, because the B is tied to the A. But and I know I don't expect a complete answer. But generally, how would you go about placing a value on uh, on, on the A shares? Yeah.
0: Well, that's obviously a key question. As I've said, we try to give you the information. But I think people, to the extent they've made a mistake in the past in valuing Berkshire, and they have made this mistake over time, including many commentators, including some institutions, is to look at it as simply a breakup value uh, to our businesses. I mean, you know, you can... Uh, You could do the same thing with General Electric, a magnificently run operation by Jack Welch. But I don't think the way you should look at a business like General Electric is to think about what would happen if they sold each division today, paid the taxes, and then distributed the proceeds there. And that has tended to be the case with many people looking at Berkshire, uh, looking at it on a static basis. And that is not the way that... uh, that Charlie and I have looked at it over time. It lends itself a little more to that kind of analysis because we have a lot of money in marketable securities, but we have a lot of money in other things too. And the question of Berkshire in, in valuing the intrinsic value of any business, of course, is what is going to be the stream of cash over many years in the future. In fact, all of the years in the future discounted back an appropriate interest rate. I've talked about that in the past in the annual report. Berkshire, is a collection of businesses, and some of which we own in their entirety, some of which we uh, own part of. And some of those businesses have very interesting uh, dynamics to them, and they, the value of our insurance business, for example, if you go back 26, what was it, um, 28 years or so since we, 29, I guess, since we bought it from Jack Ringwald, we paid eight point Seven million, I believe, eight point four, eight point seven million for two companies uh, that Jack controlled. Uh, if you had the foresight at that time to—and I didn't—but if you had the foresight at that time to see what that would develop out of that insurance business, uh, you would have come to the conclusion that their value to us was going to be far, far greater than the the value at which they were then carried on our balance sheet. They were part of a, a business which had enormous potential, and uh, that's been probably the most significant asset that's been developed at Berkshire, but right now we have over seven, right at seven billion, over seven billion afloat that's been developed from our insurance business. We couldn't foresee that 25 or 30 years ago, but it would have been a big mistake to think in terms of the book value of that business being uh, uh, representative of, of its actual value to us over time, if it was run right, and that situation uh, uh, probably prevails today. So, uh, it's a Berkshire is a a group of unbalanced, very fine businesses to which we hope to add. The intrinsic value will be affected by the job we do in allocating capital. It will be affected by the job our managers do in running their businesses. It will be affected by some, some items that we don't foresee now and perhaps have no control over, but it is not measured essentially by what we could sell each separate business for and pay the tax on now. We haven't run it that way. We've run it so that we get the use of a lot of capital at very low cost between deferred taxes and our insurance float, we have some $12 billion or so on the liability side that, uh, that uh, is, we think will be a very low cost. And that's doesn't show as an asset, but uh, it can be quite valuable. Charlie, you want to? No, I don't think I've got anything to add to that. No. I was all set to write it down, too. Uh, Zone two, please. Uh,
8: Mr. Buffett, uh, Mr. Munger, I'm Tim Medley from Jackson, Mississippi. My question is an allocation of capital one. Um, You've indicated that one thing you like in companies is a willingness on the part of management to repurchase its own shares. I I wonder if you would talk for a minute about your own frame of reference on repurchases when it appears that the current price of the stock is rich in relation to its intrinsic value. And some have said that that with the right company, ongoing repurchases of stock should be made irrespective uh, of the price. So would you speak for a moment um, as to how you think it pencils out when the current price of the stock is uh, Rich in relation to its intrinsic value.
0: Yeah, if you're repurchasing shares above a rationally calculated uh, intrinsic value, uh, you are harming your shareholders. Just as if you issue shares beneath that figure, you are harming your shareholders. That's that that that's, that's a truism. Now, the the tough part of that, of course, is coming up with the intrinsic value, and for example, a good example might be Coca-Cola. I think a number of people might have thought Coca-Cola was repurchasing shares at, at, a, at a very high price because they'll look at book value or P.E. ratios. But there's a lot more to intrinsic value than book value and, and P.E. ratios. And, and, and uh, any time anybody gives you some simplified formula for figuring it out, forget it. it uh, you have to understand the business. The people who understood that business well, uh, the management. Uh, have understood and been very forthright about saying so over the years that by repurchasing their shares they are adding to the value uh, per share for remaining shareholders. And like I say, people who didn't understand Coca-Cola or who thought mechanistic methods of valuation could uh, should take precedence uh, really misjudged uh, the value to the Coca-Cola company of those repurchases. So. Um uh, we favor when you have a wonderful business we favor using funds that are generated at that business to make the business even more wonderful and we favor repurchasing shares if those shares are below intrinsic value and i would say that if it's a really wonderful business we probably come up with higher intrinsic values than most people do I mean, we we have great respect charlie and i we've i think it's developed over the years we have enormous respect for the the power of a uh, of a really outstanding business, and we recognize how scarce they are. And if a management wishes to further intensify our ownership by repurchasing shares, uh, we, we applaud. We we own. We just went over eight percent of the Coca-Cola Company, probably in the last three or so months, by a very tiny fraction. But uh, we had a second purchase one time, but. Our percentage interest in the Coca-Cola company has gone up significantly uh, through their repurchases, and we are better off because they have bought those shares at what looked like, to some people, perhaps high prices. And uh, uh, we thought they were wrong at the time, and I think now it's been been indicated or proven. So I urge you, if you're trying to decide on the wisdom of repurchases or of share issuances, that you don't think in terms of book value you don't think in terms of specific PEs, you don't think in terms of any little model but do you think in terms of what would you really a pick businesses you can understand and then think what you really would pay to be in those businesses and uh, uh, that's what counts over time is whether the repurchases are made at a at a discount from that figure and i would say with the companies that we own shares in we Our interest in GEICO went from 33 or so percent to 50% over a 15-year or so period simply through repurchases, and we benefited significantly. So did every other shareholder, I might add, that that stayed with the company, and we benefited in no way disproportionate to them. But that was a very wise uh, action on their part. And there, too, they were all usually buying that stock at at least double book value, and you could compare it to other insurance stocks and say, well, that's too much to pay. But Geico wasn't an insurance company. It was comparable to other insurance companies. It was a very different sort of business. And, and they, uh, they were very wise, in my view, to be, to be following that course of action. Charlie? Yeah. no, nope. Zone three. Oh,
5: sorry.
6: I'm Elaine Cohen from San Diego. I'm a little confused about how the B shares are going to be moving if they're 1 30th of the A shares. When they get out on the market, are they always going to be 1 30th of the A shares? And if they are, is that going to dilute the earnings of the A shares? Could oh, you just explain? Yeah, it, it,
0: won't, it, won't dilute the, it won't dilute the earnings or value of the A shares as long as we use the money reasonably effectively that is produced. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, you'll, if, if it happens to be 1%, you'll own 1% less of all these other things. On the other hand, we'll have a close to $400 million more of cash. So, it, 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 it will not, in our view, it will not dilute the value of the, of the A. I expect over time that the B, a very large percentage of the time, will be selling very close to a 30th, but it could sell for For less than that ratio it can't sell for any significant amount more than that ratio or or arbitrage will will uh eat away at any any uh, slight premium uh i think that takes care of that
2: zone uh, four mr buffett my name is hugh stevenson i'm a shareholder from atlanta georgia my uh, question involves a company's interest in wells fargo Um, as you know wells fargo like most banks has a very expensive branch system for deposit gathering and servicing their customers. As I guess you know, they also have moved more into branches and supermarkets and an online banking that seems to have the potential to very significantly reduce their costs relative to the branch system. Would you comment on how you think that might play out and how significant it might be?
0: Well, the question, uh, you're right, Wells Fargo has been a leader in moving into supermarkets. They've got a couple different formats they've used and they've, been a, they've certainly been uh, a leader in the online uh, banking services uh, unfortunately in banking you know it's a little hard to have any secret formulas uh, coca cola has uh, 7x down there in the vaults of the what used to be the trust company of georgia now suntrust but in in the banking business anything you do your competitors can copy nevertheless there's a there is an advantage and sometimes it can be a quite a significant advantage in being first and and uh, and learning more about different distribution methods, and I think Wells Fargo has done a, a terrific job in 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 learning that. I think they've got they've got some advantages. They but they aren't advantages that other people can't work at copying and chipping away at. Uh, but it's a good management. They've done a, they've done a very good job of uh, of seizing on that particular trend uh, in supermarkets, and as such. Uh, uh, they are. Uh, they have the potential, perhaps, for having a relatively low-cost deposit gathering o- operation. And every other bank in the world will be looking, though, to see how that works. Not only there, but at other banks, to, to f- figure out whether they can copy it. Charlie. Mm-hmm. Okay. Zone five.
10: Uh, my name is Alan Parso from Omaha. Uh, Berkshire has increased the rate of growth in its insurance float in excess of 20 percent a year since 1967 in regards to Geico uh, It's rate of growth. What is its historical rate of growth been in its insurance float? And what impact will it have on the rate of growth in the overall Berkshire insurance float?
0: Well, I would say that That Geico is a huge plus uh, To Berkshire now we own 50 percent of it before I mean we've had a We've benefited from our Geico investment in a big way uh, ever since 1976. So it's not a it's not an entirely a new benefit that's that, that that's coming. And we paid a good price for Geico, but it is a it is a, a terrific company. It uh, has outstanding management. It has a it has a low cost method of distribution, which is very difficult for people to. I mean, everybody wants to have that, but they. Uh, very few come close to it. Uh, the management is focused on bringing costs down even further and widening that competitive moat. Uh, Geico, I I personally think that uh, just from what I see that that uh, uh, Geico I, I would I would I would I would think Geico's growth rate is likely to be. Uh, greater at least uh, in the future that i can see over where it has been in the past but it's been perfectly satisfactory in the past Uh, i think there are some advantages to it being part of berkshire in that uh, uh, there are costs attached to bringing new business on the books and we care not at all about reported quarterly earnings geico was relatively uh, insensitive to those before and and that's a compliment when i say that but they they had some more uh pressure on them in respect to reported earnings than they will have as part of berkshire and i think there's some really big opportunities in terms of what can be done uh with with geico as part as as part of berkshire so i i think uh five years from now you'll you'll be very happy with the fact that uh that we own uh 100% hundred percent of Geico and I think you will see that that as marvelous a company as Geico was independently as an independent company it it, it, it will uh, it will flourish maybe even a bit more uh, as being part of, uh, of Berkshire not because we bring anything to the party I mean the management will continue to run it autonomously but there's there are some advantages uh, for it in, in in being part of a larger enterprise zone six.
2: Mr. Buffett, my name is Stephen Tuckner. I'm a shareholder from Toronto, Canada, and my question concerns the valuation of Berkshire shares. Um, Given the large number and dollar size of the private businesses recorded at historic cost, which Berkshire owns, um, shouldn't the multiple to book that the stock trades at essentially expand over time um, to reflect the increases in intrinsic value of the private holdings? And I cite Um, Buffalo News on the books at essentially, I think, around zero, and even Geico now will be on the books at probably between three and four billion, um, worth more than that, as examples of the disparity between intrinsic value and book value.
0: Most of the businesses that we own, all of, or at least 80 percent of, are carried on the books at considerably less than they're now now worth. And uh, with some of them, it's dramatic. Although it's not dramatic compared to a $40 billion total market valuation for Berkshire, it's dramatic relative to the, the carrying price because when we bought, when we bought Sees Candy for an effective 25 million in 1972, it was earning 4 million pre-tax. It earned over 50 million pre-tax last year. When we bought the Buffalo News, it was making nothing, paid 30 and a fraction million, and. Uh, it's now earning maybe $45 million. And there, we've got a number of businesses, and, and GEICO's worth more than we carry it for because of the accounting peculiarities of, of the first 50%. Uh, so it is true that overwhelmingly our businesses are worth something more than intrinsic value, uh, than, than book value, and in many cases, very substantially more, although that's reflected in the market price of our stock. I don't think you can go from year to year and and trace the intrinsic value precisely by changes in book value. We use changes in book value as a very rough guide as as to the movement. And sometimes I comment, there have been certain annual reports where I've said our intrinsic values grew more than the proportional change in book value, and there's been others where I I've said I thought it was roughly the same, so I don't think you can use it as a as uh, stick some multiplier on it and come up with a precise guide, a precise number. But I do think it's a guide to movement. Uh, uh, our insurance business, though, is the most dramatic case of dollar difference between uh, book value and and intrinsic value. I mean, the number has gotten very big over, over time there, and I personally think it will tend to get bigger because I think GEICO will grow and I think our other businesses will do well. Um, the trick of course is to take the new capital as it comes along and not from the issuance of the b because that's relatively small compared to the amount of capital we will just generate from operations our float will grow from year to year our earnings will be retained and we've got to go out and find things to do that three or five years from now that people say well that's worth more than 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 the book value and and that's a job It's it's a tougher job than it was but it's kind of fun uh
2: zone seven Yes, my name is Jim Elliot I'm from Minneapolis. Uh, I wonder if you could help me uh, with an upside scenario uh, where the B shares after they're issued are limited and there's not a significant reissue afterwards. The A shareholders are somewhat reluctant to convert and you have a run on the B shares where let's say it goes to $2,000 a share. Do we then have the tail wagging the dog where the 2,000 command is 60,000 price on the A shares, and um, you know, what, what is, does the um, this arbitrage take care of that, or what do, well, what do we do in that case? If,
0: so, there, if, if, if there is uh, if there is demand for the B that pushes the price up somewhat, it will produce conversion from the A. I mean, the only way the B will be able to get, we'll just pick a figure. If it were to get to $1,200, there there is no way that the A could be selling appreciably below 36000 and I, I don't think, I think that introducing the B into the equation may mean, it will mean that there will be some people who like a lower denomination stock and come in, but it takes a lot of, a, a lot of that to, in a, an appreciable way, affect $40 billion worth of what is now A, a, a stock. So. You know, if there were incremental demand of $100 million a year or something like that, that's a little more than the demand that might otherwise go into the A. But I, I do not see it producing anything in the way of a big movement. But you're quite correct in that there's no way that the B stock can go up and not really force some conversion from the A. It'll, I think it'll be minor. Zone 8.
13: Uh, Hello, this is uh, Rick Merliov from Oakland, California. I wanted to ask you about World Book Encyclopedia. Uh, World Book seems to me to be an example where Berkshire has invested in technology without necessarily intending to. Uh, I would expect that in five or ten years it's going to be real tough to sell a paper encyclopedia because at that time you'll probably be able to buy the computer and the electronic encyclopedia for less than the paper encyclopedia. Up till now, I haven't had the impression that Worldbook has been as aggressive as its competitors in uh, marketing and developing its electronic product. Uh, it's been the highest price that I have seen of the com- competition. It's, it asked uh, at least a year ago, its list price was 600, and the c- competition was 80 to 100. Uh, You sold as low as 100 on special promotions, but I don't think that was the list. Uh, A year ago, you were still selling by direct sales. I have not yet seen it in a mass-market software store. Um, I've never seen it bundled with a computer. And um, I have seen one newspaper review of electronic encyclopedias that mentioned the World Book print version, but didn't seem to be aware that a World Book electronic version was available which it was at that time. In terms of the product itself, we, we have both the World Book and the Years at our house. The Years came with a computer. And uh, both encyclopedias uh, in this last year solicited us to buy an upgrade. World Book was asking $85, Grawliers was asking 30 But in addition, I ended up buying only the Years because it addressed my biggest disappointment on the original version of both of them, which was, it's sort of, a, in a way, a minor issue, but I thought it was relevant for kids doing school reports. Neither one allows you to print out a very big percentage of the pictures in the encyclopedia. They have a lot of pictures, but you can't print them. And you can get a color inkjet printer for under 200 bucks these days, so it's real practical to print things out. Um, the World Book made no mention of having any improvement in this area. The Grawlier said you can print out almost all the pictures, and I have found since we got the upgrade, I found that to be true. So I'm concerned that I don't, I'm not an expert on this, but I don't think World Book is as aggressive in either developing or marketing uh, its electronic encyclopedia. So my question is do you plan to become Aggressive in this area and a leader in the electronic technology or have you considered? Selling your electronic business and just getting out of it.
0: Yeah, we we won't sell the electronic business that that I can tell you uh, uh, You're quite correct. Uh, some of the technical stuff. I'm not very good at I have a little trouble turning on the light switch, but the in terms of the in in terms of the bundled product, which is the Uh, encyclopedia that is offered with the purchase of a new computer uh, there's no question uh, that that's become a large business in units it's not so large in terms of dollars because uh, those units bundled with a a uh, an original equipment sale uh, are very low actually and is probably well I'm sure has has, uh, uh, sold you know many many millions of units bundled with a new encyclopedia. It doesn't necessarily produce a lot of dollars, but it, it produces a lot of units out there. We at World Book, Encyclopedia Britannica, some of you may not have noticed, but Encyclopedia Britannica has, uh, has within the last couple of weeks announced the, uh, the cessation of direct distribution unit sales of, of, of encyclopedias print encyclopedias in the in the country have gone down very significantly in the last few years as they have at world book we changed the we are in the process of changing and have already changed in some parts of the country the distribution system uh because we are going to see what can be made to work if anything in the in the in the direct distribution there are some indications that Uh, We may be able to make money in that business, but with a different cost structure than before, Um, and uh, we'll we'll know more about that. We're we're not that far along because we changed the distribution system within the last, or partially changed it within the last few months. Um, We – it's not easy to figure out how to make money in, in either the electronic or print encyclopedia end of the business. And we have some ideas in the electronic end that uh, uh, we'll we'll know a lot more about in about um, six months or so, but I can't really, I don't want to go into any detail on those at present. Uh, I've got the electronic product myself. It's a first-class product. We've got ideas about how to make it an even better product. And we have taken a lot of costs out of uh, out of the print end of the business. We'll be putting some of those into the electronic end, but we've we've taken a lot of costs out of it. It may well be that it'll be a workable business for us, even though it isn't for anybody else, but the the jury's still out on that. Uh, uh, It is not the business it was five years ago, and I I don't think it will be the business that it was five years ago, because the the world has changed in some ways on that. Uh, But we're, We will not sell world book that I can just, I'll state that unequivocally. We will not sell electronic world book. We are in the business uh, to stay, but we are groping a bit uh, in terms of figuring out a configuration that uh, uh, will produce decent profits for us and, and sell a lot of world books in the process. Charlie? We don't
10: have any way of avoiding declines in some of our businesses some of the time. Blue chip stamps uh, once sold stamps at the rate of 120 million dollars a year. Now it's about 200 thousand dollars a year. So we we we
0: lose some. We were in the windmill business many years ago. <laughs> we try to make we, you know we we think plenty about the problems, but there are there are industry. Industry problems. I, I was in anthracite coal at one time too. At the street railways, I've seen them all. <laughs> the uh, but World Book is a first-class product. It's a product I use. A product Charlie uses, and there is, in, through an electronic means, you can deliver information at at costs far far less than I mean um, unbelievably less than. Uh, was the case not that many uh, years ago, and the world in many forms will be adjusting to that, not just in encyclopedias. And uh, it affects some of the businesses we're in, uh, and it's uh, it's something we think about, but it's very unlikely that the Charlie and I are going to be smarter than the rest of the world in terms of uh, uh, the electronic world. I mean, we, we are looking at it as as something where we're looking for the obvious and something that is within our capability of doing something about. But we're, we're, not, we're not trying to beat people at their own game where we're not very good at the game. Zone one.
14: Mr. Buffett, Richard Charlton from Canada. One of the highlights of... Good afternoon, Mr. Munger, also. <laughs> well, one of the highlights for me in coming to the annual meeting for the past seven or eight years was the way that you dealt with the question that was inevitably asked by a new shareholder as to why you will not split your shares. I, I know how much it has meant to you to keep the shares trading in an exclusive way and you have been my mentor for the last 17 years and I think that what you're doing in splitting these shares in order to protect the public and indirectly Berkshire shareholders, but mostly to protect the public of your uh, and Mr. Munger's tremendous integrity, and you're setting a fantastic example for corporate America, and I salute you, sir. And I thank you very much. Thank Thank you.
7: Thank you.
0: Well, I hate to leave zone one after that, but we'll go on to zone two. Thank you.
8: Wesley Jack
9: from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Uh, As a stockbroker, I can say I definitely don't like UITs, and and I appreciate your uh, plan for the B shares. But uh, as along with the rest of the shareholders, what we hope that the shares go up in value in the future, don't you see a problem with them coming back with this idea? In the future,
0: on the unit, you mean on the issuance of unit trust? Yes. Oh, I, I I don't see any problem because the B will be out there, and and it it, it is a superior product, whatever it, its its absolute merits may be. On a relative basis, it is a superior product to, to anything that is going to carry a big commission to a salesperson and a lot of annual costs. So, I think my guess is we've taken care of. Uh, of that problem, I wish it hadn't come up. But it, but it's I I would think that it uh, would be very difficult for anyone to honestly offer a product, a derivative type product through through a unit trust that would be superior to buying uh, uh, the product that will be available.
10: I think he's afraid that the B will go up to the place where the whole story comes again. And I must say that if that were to happen, we'd like it.
0: Well, <laughs> we, we'd like it only if it reflected, you know, underlying values, but. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we have a very strange attitude on that. I mean, most managements feel that the, on on the price of their shares, that the higher the better. And that's an understandable feeling. but. The trouble is the, the game isn't over at any time. We really feel the fairer the better. Our, our, our goal is that every shareholder participates in the progress that Berkshire makes during, as a business during their holding period. In other words, we don't want one party getting wealthy off the other. We, we, we want them to share based on, on, the, on the gain in value of the business. And to the extent that the stock got way overvalued or way undervalued, you know, that may make one party, in the first case, the seller, in the second case, the buyer, very happy. But there's somebody on the other side of the transaction. In economics, you know, the, the most important question, maybe important beyond economics, too, but when everybody, somebody tells you something, you know, the, the first question to ask, ask yourself is, and then what? And we, we tend to do that around Berkshire and and. and so the stock going up is not an end of itself because it's, it, the next question is, is, and then what? And uh, to the extent that the stock goes up because the intrinsic value goes up, everyone is getting, getting their fair share of the pie as they go along. To the extent it, it exceeds that in some way, you know, the selling shareholder gets a benefit, but the entering shareholder is at a disadvantage. And, and uh, well, we really like the idea of the price tracking intrinsic value over time, and we think that by having the right kind of shareholders and by communicating with them uh, properly and following the right kind of policies, that we can come as close to that as is attainable in a world where markets essentially uh, uh, are fairly volatile. And so far, I I think it's worked out pretty well that way, but the intention is to, um, and the, the goal is to keep it that way. One thing to remember, in the end, the owners of businesses, in aggregate, cannot come out any way better than the businesses come out. I mean, you can, uh, the businesses are the, uh, and not just our business, I'm talking about all American business. The profitability of American business determines the profitability of what the owners of American business have. And, and you can forget all about the little ticker symbols and everything else. The owners suffer to the extent that they have some extra costs imposed in, 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 in brokerage commissions, fees, all kinds of things. That diminishes the return from the business, but no one has figured out yet how to perpetually uh, have owners do better than their businesses. And our idea is to have them do it as they go along in proportion to the gain that occurs during their tenure as a shareholder. And that isn't easy to do, and it's not attained perfectly, but that is that's the goal as we go along. Zone three.
6: I'm uh, Morris Spence, and uh, I have a serious question, and then a less serious question. First, the less serious. You said that you and Charlie had lost uh, between you 100 pounds. I was curious who had lost no, more? No,
0: no. No, I said the board had lost 100 pounds. I, I, I have some members of the board who would take up bridge the fact that they weren't included in that total. But, okay. No. <laughs> who uh, lost, who uh, lost? Charlie and I are, we're, we're pretty close at the moment, aren't we? Modesty
6: prefer- <laughs> I, I must say, you're both looking very good anyway. Uh, I was with- wondering who lost the most and what your diet secrets were? <laughs> and and then the most more serious question w- was about float. You touched on this a little bit earlier. But um, you've often said that your insurance business is probably the most important business that you own. On page 12 of the annual report, you said, we have benefited greatly to a degree that has not been generally understood because our liabilities have cost us very little. I was wondering if you could describe um, this a little bit better so we can understand it. Yeah,
0: the, uh, Charlie and I have lost about the same amount, at uh, about 20 pounds each. The, uh, the insurance business provides us with float, and float is money that we hold that doesn't belong to us. It's like a bank having deposits. A bank has deposits. The money doesn't belong to it, but it holds the, the money. Now, when a bank holds deposits on, on everything except demand deposit, demand deposits, it, there's a, an explicit cost, an interest rate, attached to it. And then there are the costs of running the system and gathering the money, which is uh, also must be uh, uh, attributed both to demand and time deposits. So there's a cost to getting what they would call deposits and, w- and we could call float. In the insurance business, a similar phenomenon takes place in that policyholders give us their money at the start of the, the uh, policy period. And therefore, we, we get the money paid in advance for the product. And secondly, it takes time to settle losses, particularly in the liability area. If, 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 you, if you bang up a fender on your car, you, it's gonna get settled very quickly. So there's, But if, if there's a, a complicated injury or something, it may take some years to settle. And during that period, we hold the money. So, we have, in effect, something that is tantamount to the deposits of a bank. But whereas the deposits of a bank, it's it's quite easy to calculate the approximate costs. In the case of the float that the insurance company has, you don't really know what the cost of that float is until all your policies and losses, the uh, policies have expired and your losses have all been settled. Well, that's forever in, in some cases. So you're only making an estimate as you go along of what that float is is costing. To date with Berkshire, in the 29 years we've been in the business, it appears, never certain, because you don't know for sure what's going to happen, but it appears that... Uh, our float has not cost us anything uh, in, in, on average. It's been years when we've had an underwriting loss, when there's a cost. There's been years when we had an underwriting profit, and so we had a reverse cost. So we have obtained that float on very advantageous terms over the years. Far more, I mean, fully as important as that, it's important to get it at a low cost, in our case, no cost. But the other important thing is that, is that we've grown it dramatically, and so we've gotten more and more money without having any cost attached to it. And, and if we still had our 16 or 17 million, I guess, of float that we had in 1967, and it was no cost, it would be very nice, but 17 million of free money is worth something, but it's not worth a ton. Having 7 billion, if we can, if we can achieve that as free money, it's worth a lot of money, and th- that growth is not, Probably generally been appreciated fully in, in in connection with Berkshire. Nor has the the interplay of how having zero cost money uh, in terms of affecting our our gain in value over time. People have looked at always looked at our asset side, but they haven't paid as much attention to the liability side. Charlie and I pay a lot of attention to that, and I mean this it's it's not entirely an accident that, that, that the that the business has developed in this manner, and we have intentions of trying to make it to continue to develop in this manner and, and in that manner in the future. But we've got competitors out there, too. Float per se is not a blessing. We can show you many insurance companies that thought it was wonderful to generate Float, and they have lost so much money in underwriting that they'd be better off if they'd never heard of the insurance business. Um, but that, you know that, the job is to get it, get it in increasing quantities, but above all, get it cheap. And uh, that's what we work at, and you do that in the business through having some kind of competitive advantages. You won't do it just by having an ordinary insurance company. The ordinary insurance company is not a good business. Uh, We have it in certain respects uh, because of our attitude toward the business. We have it because of our financial strength gives us certain competitive advantages. And we have it in the case of GEICO um, because of a very low cost operation. And it's up to us to try and figure out ways to maximize each one of those competitive advantages, over time, we've built those advantages. I mean, in 1967, we were not looked at that way in the insurance business. We were, we've built a position of, of competitive strengths, and in the case of Geico, they had it without us, but but we have we have bought into it over time. It's a very important asset, and you ought to pay a lot of attention over the years as to what is happening in with that asset, as to both growth and costs and uh, uh, and that will aid you in calculating intrinsic value. Charlie? Uh, not, nothing to add. Okay. Is that zone four is the next, Emily?
7: Uh, Henry Newhoff, uh, shareholder of Dallas,
2: Texas. My guess is that you consider the intrinsic value of
7: the shares to be more than that represented by the price. By current, more, more than represented by More what? than represented by the current price of the shares. Mm. If that be the case uh, what would be your thoughts about Berkshire repurchasing its own shares yeah no
0: we we have said we do not consider Berkshire undervalued at, at this price we didn't say we thought it was overvalued but we said we did not consider it undervalued so uh, a repurchase based on our estimate would not be in the interests of of shareholders at, uh, it's conceivable it could be at some time but but we we do not think that's the case we uh, We think intrinsic value far exceeds book value, but we do not think it exceeds present price. We're not selling any shares, though, either. (laughs) Zone 6.
7: My name is Carlos Lucero. I'm from Idaho. And uh, my question relates to um, uh, street names. our stock at Berkshire Hathaway uh, is in a family limited partnership. And uh, in addition to that, it's in a street name. Now, what is the reason and the uh, rationale behind the reason for um, street name shares not being able to participate in the, uh, in the charitable contributions by uh, Berkshire Hathaway?
0: Yeah, th- We submitted a request for ruling to the IRS I don't know, 15 or so years ago, in connection with the shareholder designated contribution program, and and the ruling we received specifies uh, record holders and not street name holders. Now, that doesn't mean that a different ruling might not be obtained, but frankly, when we get into the to the Multitude of, of of indirect holdings and the problems we have with those indirect holdings in other respects, I, I think it would be a bit of a nightmare uh, for us to attempt to get that program extended through into uh, into street name holders. It, I think the costs would would far ex- exceed the benefits, and I think that. It is the situation that anybody with it in street name can move it into their own name if they want to. So I think, with very small amount of effort on the part of an individual shareholder, it would offset an enormous uh, set of problems that we would encounter at, at Berkshire. We can handle the present system. We've got 12 people there, and they run the annual meeting. They make movies. They do all kinds of things. And uh, <laughs> uh, it, it would be it would be very tough and. Uh, uh, you know, if an extra 10,000 shares participated, it would be $120,000 of contributions. I, I, I just don't think it would be worthwhile. Our ruling doesn't presently cover the subject uh, uh, in any event. It's something we've thought about. Charlie? Mm-hmm. Yeah,
10: I think even if they changed the ruling, we wouldn't change the policy. Yeah, it's, it, it would be administratively very difficult. Yeah.
0: We run into other problems in terms of people getting their material. Just the the, the the material on the annual meeting and and uh, we've we've heard from a number of shareholders that they they can't get it from their broker and they're, they they don 't know what the B is all about because they didn't get their proxies and it just uh, it, 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 street name posed more problems although we have a now we have uh, we probably have more than forget about the B we have more than twice as many I believe holders in street name as in, um, as in uh, direct ownership, although the number of shares is far, far, I mean, it's, it's, it'd be less than 20% of the shares, but it's, it's probably double the number of holders. Zone seven.
2: Good afternoon, my name is Bill Guerra. I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area. I've owned your shares for many years and appreciate the good job you've done. Uh, however, in this year's chairman's letter, uh, you developed a concept a few years ago called look-through earnings, Right. and I failed to see that this year, and I'm wondering if that no longer is a valid concept or why you refrained from uh, showing the data.
0: Yeah, that's a good question. I should have actually covered that in the annual report in terms of mentioning what, uh, because I've talked about it and we'll talk about it in the future, and we do have a goal on look-through earnings of t- Two billion dollars in the year 2000, and that's going to be adjusted upward to allow for the fact there are more shares outstanding. It'll be the same basic goal, but uh, uh, there were there were two reasons uh, that it was skipped this year. And like I say, I should have mentioned it. One one was it was the longest letter we've ever had, and and uh, uh, having that section in there would have elongated it uh, even a bit more. And uh, that coupled with the fact, and this is the important part of it. We had major changes uh, in our, the composition of the company immediately after uh, the end of the year. So our capital city stock uh, disappeared. At the time it disappeared, we didn't know whether it was going into cash or the all Disney stock or a combination. We had the acquisition of the other half of Geico, or even now the accounting treatment isn't clear. And I felt that the to earnings last year were fine, but I felt that By the time i got through explaining all of the adjustments you would have to make for the transactions then pending that adding it to the to already the longest letter i've written would have uh, would have slowed things down a lot and not and not been particularly helpful it will be back in uh this year this upcoming report and 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 future reports because it's a very important concept and it's it's something that we're focused on it's just that last year's number would have it would have been a mess by the time I got through trying to explain it. Uh, you know, I Normally, the accounting stuff I know puts a lot of you to sleep, but believe me, it isn't so much fun writing it either. <laughs> uh, so I skipped it this year. Uh, we'll have it next year. And the, the, the number would have been okay last year, but there would have been a lot of asterisks attached.
9: Uh, zone 8, please. Yes, Mr. Buffett, good morning. My name is Ed Wolzak from New York. I'm a student and an admirer of your investment philosophy. I have a question. Um, In determining a company's intrinsic value, you seem to write or indicate that you project out a company's owner earnings for a number of years and then discount that back by prevailing rates. My question is, how much of a premium, if any, to prevailing risk-free rates do you demand when you discount back the owner earnings of a company? Or stated differently, for example, today with long rates at about 7%, if you did the same exercise with Coca-Cola, at what rate of interest would you discount back their owner earnings?
0: Yeah, we we get asked that question a lot, and we've answered it to some extent in past annual reports about what discount rate to use. We basically think in terms of the long-term uh, government rate, and uh, uh, there may be times uh, when in a very, we don't because we don't, we don't think we're any good at predicting interest rates, but probably in times of very, what would seem like very low rates, we might use a little higher rate. but we don't put the risk factor in, per se, because essentially the purity of the idea is that you're discounting future cash, and it doesn't make any difference whether cash comes from a risky business or a safe business, it's a so-called safe business. So the, 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 the value of the cash delivered by a water company, uh, which is going to be around for 100 years, Uh, is not different than the value of the cash derived from some high-tech company, if if any, um, that uh, you might be looking at. uh, It may be harder for you to make the estimate, uh, and you, you may therefore want a bigger discount when you get all through with the calculation, but up to the point where you decide what you're willing to pay. You may decide you can't estimate it at all. I mean, that's what happens with us, with most companies, but we believe in using Uh, the a A A government bond type interest rate we believe in trying to stick with businesses that where we think we can see the future reasonably well you never see it perfectly obviously but where we think we have a reasonable handle on it and we would differentiate to some extent we don't want to go below a certain threshold of understanding so we want to stick with businesses we we understand quite well and not try to have the whole panoply with all different kinds of Risk rates, because frankly, we think that'd just be playing games with numbers. I mean, we, I don't think you can stick something numbers on a on a highly speculative business where the whole industry is going to change in five years, and, and have them mean anything when you get through. If you say I'm going to stick an extra six percent in on on the interest rate to allow for the fact, I, I tend to think that's kind of nonsense. I mean, it may look mathematical, but it's but it's 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 mathematical gibberish in my view. You better just stick with businesses that you can understand use the government bond rate, and when you can buy them something you understand well at a significant discount, then you should start getting excited. Charlie? Mm
10: -hmm. Yeah, the uh, discounts were once greater than we now see.
0: That's all you're going to get, folks. (laughs) (laughs) Zone one.
9: (laughs) Uh, Hi, Warren. It's uh, Peter Newman, uh, Nick and Racky's son. You can't see me because I'm on your hard left over here. Um, And by the way, Racky says to send her love to you and Susie. Um, I'm going to take a cue from uh, something that the guy who asked the questions about the world book. uh, I know you're loath to normally interfere in the running of your individual corporations because they do so well on their own. And I am particularly fond of See's uh, candy and their products. Uh, and uh, you may or may not know that we have a chocoholic in our family, as you do in yours. Yeah. Um,
0: Makes good chocolate syrup, too.
9: <laughs> yeah. I won't mention who. Um, however, when I was in there this Christmas buying some gifts, I noted that with the exception of the little candy canes, there's nothing in that store that is fat-free. And we are facing a... Trend in the world, especially in dessert items and ice cream and candy items of fat freeness, and I just thought that perhaps it would be a wor- worth a word to management to consider expanding the hard candy line.
0: Yeah. Well, we look at a lot of things. It, it, one of the problems, as you probably know, for example, in using aspartame is it doesn't it doesn't interact well with heat and. Uh, uh, so that's been sort of tough. Now Charlie and I've kept getting our regular boxes of candy during this weight loss program, and we've <laughs> devoured them. And candy, uh, you know, it's maybe a on average a hundred and uh, depends on whether it's the a, a sugared product or not. But to take the lollipop; it'd be about a hundred, hundred and ten calories per ounce. But there's that's one and a half or one one and a quarter lollipops or something like that. Most things are you know, in that 100 per ounce to 150 per ounce range. So the candy is not is not a specific uh, uh, no-no. Uh, if we can find something that the customer likes that uh, makes them think they're getting skinnier by eating it, uh, you know, that will be a breakthrough. And, we'll, and we look forward to it, and we test all the, we test everything that comes along, I can assure you. In fact, uh, Charlie and I may be the main testers, but... It, uh, uh, Chuck Huggins is here today, and if you've got any ideas on it, uh, who runs C's done a terrific job of running C's ever since we took over in 1972. Uh, he'd appreciate ideas, but we're we are looking for things that appeal to the consumer, that uh, that taste good, and that uh, uh, they'll go for. It. I mean, just as is you know the Coca-Cola Company in terms of uh, uh, of of uh, carbonated soft drinks. So it it's 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 a constant. Uh, subject uh, and you know there were high hopes on aspartame originally but it it just hasn't panned out in terms of candy and I read a few articles about the uh, the fat-free stuff Um, uh, well it should should be the fat substitute which didn't get me too excited about trying it but uh, I'm not sure whether some of you read those articles or not Uh, we'll keep looking Peter I appreciate it zone two
6: good morning mr. Buffett and mr. Munger As an aspiring shareholder, I'm very happy and proud to be here. Uh, Maybe I can encourage Mr. Munger to uh, respond to my question this morning. In regards to your uh, purchase of the other half of Geico, would you comment on your reasoning behind paying the premium above market value and why you instead did not uh, purchase? Shares in the open market.
10: Very many shares in the open market at the quoted price, and uh, the price we paid for the large number of shares we got, we thought was a very satisfactory price.
0: Yeah, we we Pucharev one hundred percent right. We also had a a restriction that we uh, agreed to many many years ago, um, almost twenty years ago. as as to the number of shares we would own without the uh, consent of the directors and, I believe, the insurance department. So uh, we actually had some special restrictions on us in the case of GEICO. But if we hadn't had those restrictions, we'd have behaved in exactly the same manner. And uh, we didn't think we could buy it any cheaper than that price, and and we gulped a few times and, uh, and paid it. And I think we will be happy that we did as it's turning out. GEICO is doing is doing very well. It, uh, I mean, I knew it would do well, but it, I,
13: I feel very good about it. Zone 3. Uh, Mr. Buffett, my name is David Lowe from Ventura, California. Uh, my first Berkshire meeting, and I want to mention that I'm very intrigued at the influence you have over the shareholders here. I note that the first beverage they ran out of in the lobby was Cherry Coke. <laughs> my question is about the Buffalo News you say in the uh, in the letter for the 95 report that the uh, newspaper industry has lost another notch in its economic attractiveness can you elaborate on that
0: yeah the uh, what you are seeing in newspapers is is uh a circulation trend that has been prevalent for a long time in terms of newspapers per household uh but that uh, that has been declining and that uh, Uh, daily newspapers and that uh, i would say the trends of the last couple years are are uh, somewhat worse uh in that respect i would say that the ability to price both at the circulation and advertising level is uh, is uh, has weakened a bit uh in recent years not dramatically but but it's weakened a bit at one time newspapers really Daily newspapers in 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 in, in single newspaper towns were probably as 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 uh, as attractive economically as any business you could find. I mean, it it, uh, uh, a large percentage of advertisers uh, had very little choice in terms of of using them as an advertising medium. People had less options in the way of learning what was going on around around them uh, other than the daily newspaper. so the that they started from a position of extraordinary strength they still have a very strong position and I've tried to emphasize in that report I mean they are they're a bargain at, at the price they sell for they give you all kinds of information with very low price and uh, they're a magnificent way for most merchants to 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 reach uh, their customers but they are not they do not have the exclusive advantages in many cases that they had 15 or 20 years ago. Uh, third class mail has become more of an option. Uh, uh, people have more ways of obtaining information. As we talked earlier, information can be processed electronically and delivered uh, at far lower cost than people dreamt of. Uh, 20 years ago. So all of those things eat away a little bit. It's still it's still a very fine business but those I I don't see anything that will reverse those trends. I don't think that they will necessarily accelerate, but I but I uh, I think that if the only thing you owned in life was a daily newspaper in a single newspaper town 20 years ago, you would feel slightly less secure uh, today than than you did at that time, but you'd still be a lot better off than owning virtually any other business. Charlie, Uh, nothing, Dad.
1: How about Zone Four, Mr. Buffett? uh, My name is Hutch Vernon. I'm from Baltimore, Maryland. I I know that you read lots and lots of annual reports, and uh, I'm curious what you are reading for. If you would share that with us, but I'm more curious because I think I know what you're reading for. Uh, if there are any disclosures, uh, any further disclosures that you would like to see companies make in their financial reporting or that the SEC require in uh, financial reporting or proxies or other communications with their shareholders. And that would be for both uh, you and for Mr. Munger.
0: Yeah, the main thing uh, that they can't mandate in annual reports, I really like to have, I like to know as much as I can, about the person that's running it and how they think about the business and what's really going on in the business. In other words, I, I would like to have uh, a report that would be identical uh, to what if I owned half of a company but was away for a year and I had a partner who owned the other half. What when I came back, that he would tell me about what had taken place during the past year and what he foresaw coming up and all of that. I, I that is what I think the purpose. Of the report is now the sec mandates a lot of information and 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 some of that is is helpful uh, uh, but there's an intent behind the report i mean if it's a sales document i'm you know i'm, I'm less interested i'm uh, and uh i don't see any way to mandate uh what i'm talking about but that's the kind of report i'm looking for what i'm trying to do as i read reports a, I like to understand just generally what's going on in all kinds of businesses. If we own stock in, in a company, in an industry, and there are eight other companies that are in the same industry, I, I want to own or be on the mailing list for the reports for the other eight because I can't understand how my company is doing unless I understand what the other eight are doing. I, I want to have the perspective. Of in terms of market share, or what's going on in the business, or their margins, or the trend of margins, or all kinds of things that I can't get unless I know. I can't be an intelligent owner of a business unless I know what all the other businesses in that in that industry are doing. And so I try to get that information out of a report. If I'm thinking about investing in a specific company, I try to size up their business and the people that, 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 are, that, are, that are running it. And over the years, I, uh, I I found uh, reading a lot of reports to be quite useful in terms of making business decisions at, at Berkshire. If we own hall of a business, I want to own shares in, in, in all of the competitors just to keep keep track of what's going on. And I want to be able to intelligently evaluate how our managers are doing that. And I can't do that unless I know the industry backdrop against, uh, against which they're working. Uh, uh, it's amazing. Uh, you know what how well you can do in, in, in invest in investing really with what i would call outside information i find inside information i'm not sure how useful that is but but outside information uh, there's all kinds of information around as to as to businesses and you don't have to you don't have to understand all of them and you just have to understand the ones that you're thinking about getting in and and you can do it if you just but you nobody will do it for you you can't read in my view, you can't read Wall Street reports and get anything out of them. You have to do it yourself and, and, and uh, get your arms around it. I, I, I don't think we've ever gotten an idea, you know, in 40 years from a, from a Wall Street report, but, but we've gotten a lot of ideas from annual reports. Charlie?
10: What I find is that it takes a long time to read the annual report, even if it's a comparatively simple business. Unless if you really are trying to understand it, it's not a bit easy.
0: Yeah, I would say that, on average, in a business we're really interested in, even though we know what to skip to some extent, what to read, I mean, it, it's going to be f- 45 minutes or an hour on a report, and if there are six or eight companies in the industry, that's going to be six or eight hours, perhaps, and and then there are quarterlies and a lot of other. I mean, it. the way you learn about businesses is by absorbing information about them, thinking it, deciding what counts and what doesn't count, relating one thing to another, and... Uh, you know, that's that's the job, that, uh, uh, and you can't get that by looking at a bunch of little numbers on a chart bobbing up and down about a, you know, or, 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 or reading, uh, you know, market commentary and periodicals or anything of the sort. That just won't do it. That, uh, you've got to understand the businesses. That's where it all begins and ends. Zone five.
2: Mr. Buffett, uh, my name is Hank Strickland. I'm from Fairfax, Virginia which, if it were a city, would be the 10th largest in the United States. I'm here as a stockholder, and my daughter, who's also my broker, is here with me. We were also out there Friday night when we watched you warming up for the beginning of the the ball game, and we, uh, we noted that you didn't drop the ball. You seemed to be able to get it to the guy that was warming you up. We noticed your uh, first pitch, which I had difficulty characterizing as either being a pass ball or a wild pitch. It was
0: a premature sinker, actually.
2: <laughs> very,
0: very hard to hit, I might add.
2: <laughs> and then you uh, moved sprightly into the stands, uh, did a lot of picture-taking photo opportunities, signed <laughs> autographs, vaulted over a rail or two, and. Uh, We noted with great uh, enthusiasm your fitness. Now, that all having been said, many people would characterize Berkshire as a one-man company, with all due respect to Charlie. And many of us in this audience here, I'm sure, are retired or semi-retired. It's not unthinkable that perhaps you might want to retire or, for good God it's it's so. unthinkable.
0: unthinkable. I, I, I don't want that one to go by. Or for
2: or for something or something worse could happen.
0: Mm.
2: And uh, for those that, of that us, would
0: be the worst. I, I think
2: uh, <laughs> Well, I've, I think death would be second. I, have, uh, <laughs> I could I could think of something some of us might want to do to protect our sizable investments, say, having owned Berkshire since blue chip, blue chip stamp days. But anyway, uh, we could put in a stop order, might take out an insurance policy. We might ask Charlie to masquerade as Warren after you moved on. Those don't seem like very attractive options. I'm very serious now. Yeah. How would you respond to the question of a stockholder that's really concerned about Berkshire being a one-man show? Yeah, well, Thank
0: Berkshire you. is not a one-man show. It's a, it's, a, it's a two-man show in terms of capital allocation. There's no question about that at present. But it's 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 run by many managers uh, uh, that are doing an outstanding job and that uh, don't need any guidance from from Charlie or, or, or me as they go along. But I might say that you know I will die with all of my Berkshire stock essentially, and uh, and that will, stock will be held either in the family or in a foundation, depending on the the order of death, for a long time thereafter. So there's no one that's more concerned about the about the subsequent management issue than I. I mean, this is not something that, uh, that ends at all on my death, and it doesn't end for the Buffett family or the Buffett Foundation. So uh, it, it's a subject that, that, uh, that Charlie and I have both thought about. The most likely situation, you got to get away from the idea that it's a one-man show, because right now we've got 33,000 people uh, working for Berkshire uh, out there, you know, as we speak. And I'm sitting around, you know, watching movies about myself or something. I mean, you can you can see how vital I am to the place. The uh, so the the but the question, and and the other the other thing we do besides allocate capital is we do identify these managers and 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 hopefully we make it attractive for them to stay and work for Berkshire. But that, you know, that doesn't require 150 IQ or anything to do that. It it does require a certain sensitivity to why people want to get up in the morning and do what they do, and. When, when I'm not around, uh, the the logical at some point depends on exactly when it happens. But uh, Charlie's a little older than I am, and uh, it's likely that, that it will be broken into a into a two-person function again, but not exactly the way Charlie and I function. And that, and that is that there will be uh, someone in charge of investments and capital allocation. I mentioned. Lou Simpson's position because uh, he is younger than I am uh, in, in the annual report, and then someone in charge of uh, of operations, and we have that person in the organization now. Now I don't know what the situation will be when I die because it could be in 20 minutes or it could be in 20 years, and and when that, so I I can't specifically name the individuals. We have the individuals now for both those functions. We'll have the individuals for the same functions 20 years from now. I don't know I don't know whether they'll be the same people. Uh, But it's quite a logical way to run the business. GEICO was run that way and still is run that way uh, and has been for some years. It's always struck me as terribly illogical the way property casualty insurance companies are run because they've been dominated by the underwriting side of the business. And here they have this important investment side. But it's always been virtually every company has been subservient to the underwriting. And GEICO very logically set up a co-CEO arrangement uh, some years back where uh, uh, originally Bill Snyder and before that, but, but Tony Nicely ran the underwriting end of the business, and, and uh, Lou Simpson ran the investment side, and those are two very different functions. Same person logically doesn't fit both functions in most cases. I mean, it's a rarity when, when, the, when the same person happens to hit for both functions. So Geico worked very well that way, way still works that way. Lou runs investments, Tony runs underwriting. And Berkshire, slightly different, it's a variant on it, but essentially at, some, at Berkshire headquarters, you need someone overseeing uh, and not meddling in them too much, but making sure you've got the right manager uh, and, and you're, you're treating them fairly. You need someone on the operating side, you need someone on the investment and capital allocation side. We've got those people now, uh, and we'll have them, you know, whenever it happens, too. But, that's the I, that that is the structure and we've got some very good businesses. And you know, nobody's buying C's candy because they think I'm sitting in some office in Omaha and no one's buying a GEICO insurance policy because, you know, the my name is there as chairman or CEO. The businesses are marvelous businesses. They'll continue very well. And there will be a capital allocation problem then, just like there is now, and there will be the problem of keeping good managers in place and treating them fairly, and that's a solvable problem. So that's the future as, as seen from Keywood Plaza. Charlie?
10: Yes, uh, if you just run your mind through all the assets, I think you will quickly decide that there are large momentums in place that would do very well without us. Uh, I mean, is Coca Cola going to suddenly stop selling because some manager's dead at Berkshire Hathaway? You know, are the people going to stop using Gillette razor blades? Uh, Is Geico suddenly going to stop being intelligently run? Is the Norasca furniture mart going to try any less hard? So the existing assets, you can argue, have been lovingly put together so as not to require continuing intelligence at headquarters. (laughs) And, And what there would be a disadvantage in that, I think would be unreasonable to expect that a successor would be as good at making new investments as Warren has been in the past. Well, that's just too damn bad.
7: (laughs) Uh,
0: The sympathetic air over (laughs) (laughs) here. Let's see, where are we, Zone 6 now? or? um,
11: Mr. Buffett, I'm indebted to Walter Schluss for introducing me to you some 40 years ago, and finally in the early 80s I became a stockholder. Uh, My question is, now that uh, you've expanded headquarters 9% from (laughs) 11 people to 12 people, do you now more frequently answer letters from stockholders? As a specific, uh, had you looked at my letter in January (laughs) nineteen (laughs) eighty six?
0: We haven't gotten to January yet.
11: (laughs) uh, Relating to Cap Cities ABC and Talk Radio, uh, the problem that occurred last month at Cape Cap Cities might have been prevented.
0: You should uh, you should get a form letter from us, but the. uh, we do not, A, we do not get into the act, activities of our investee companies. I mean, it, it, if, if people are unhappy about Coca-Cola or Gillette, and they shouldn't be, but if they, if they happen to be, they, they should talk to the companies themselves. I don't, I don't interject myself into the, into the management or operations of the investee companies. In terms of questions about Berkshire, I put in the annual report a few years back, just running Berkshire, takes up a a fair amount of time in in terms of keeping track of a lot of businesses and doesn't need to take up as much time as it does with me, but I I enjoy it. Uh, But the I feel that the annual report, the annual meeting are the time to take up everything on shareholders minds. And so I don't I don't answer one on one questions. I get all kinds of letters. They want career guidance. They want advice on their business. I mean, there's a million letters that come in and and it, it would really it would really be uh uh it would take a significant amount of time that otherwise would be spent on berkshire to reply to that sort of thing i may note them in terms of what i address in subsequent annual reports but but the annual meeting and the annual report i, I feel are the best ways to communicate with shareholders and i and i and i really don't don't do it the rest of the year although you you will get some form of reply or you should get some form of reply on it thanks. thanks it's 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 noon now and I'd like to give everybody a chance to, to uh, uh, visit our other stores and everything. But we will, we will be back here at 1215. And all of you in the outside, the overflow rooms, can come join us in the main room. And we'll just continue these questions at that time. Thank you.